Welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Karen Gregson of PGATour.com. We're going to get her perspective on Phil Mickelson's big win in the PGA Championship over the weekend. Also catch up on the latest happenings in the golf world, including the latest edition of The Match that's coming up in July between Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson and Aaron Rodgers and Bryson DeChambeau. We'll look forward to that coming up in just a little while right now. Also, we'll have Coach Phil's football fix presented by the Conner Advisory Group to get the latest happenings on the Nashville Football League. And we'll have our temporary story of the week at the end of the show as well. So that is the rundown for what's ahead. We appreciate you joining us. Tom Bridges is back with us after a Fun journey to Memphis. Tom, how are we feeling after that excursion? You know what? That, that drive into Memphis, oh my gosh, the I-40 bridge is down due to a crack. And so they're using I-55, which seems to me doesn't ever get used. And the, the traffic into Memphis is horrendous. Um, but, you know, I had went last summer and I Somehow I, I go to these towns again and again. Like I obviously I go to San Antonio when I can. And I, I still somehow just know my way around. It was kind of weird. And like I said, I've only spent a total of three days in Memphis. And I feel like I know my way around the main part. Uh, I even was on Beale Street partying it up. Uh, Memphis fans are pretty cool. After they beat my team, they I got about five or six free drinks from random people. Obviously, I was still in the Spurs jersey, was on TV. I was cracking you know, up seeing you on ESPN with the uh, – you were using Memphis's own towel to chant for the Spurs. That was exactly. I mean, I was using whatever I could. I'd have waved a small child if that was if that would have been <laughs> around. Um, but, yeah, I um, was on Beale Street, and the hotel's probably a mile, mile and a half away from Beale street. Um, and my phone died. And so I'm like, Oh man, I am so screwed right now. And it's like 1130. So it was funny that, that on last week's show, you're like, yeah, Tom's probably not being safe. And phone ended up dying. And I ended up having to walk back at about 1130 at night in Memphis. Uh, and once I, you get off Beale street, there's like nobody around. And so I ran, like, so, not just a jog. I sprinted to my destination. I kind of knew where it was at. I was like, all right, it's on Madison Street and BB King. I was like, if I get close, I'll know. I'll just run until that corner where the hotel's at. So my reading into the future last week when I said, Thomas is not going to be safe, was accurate. But Yeah, that's, that's very correct. That drive was crazy. Nonetheless, you're you're here and alive with us, so that's what matters most. But uh, good to have you back this weekend. We got a full show ahead. Uh, by the way, uh, coming up this weekend, uh, Tom, I don't know if you're aware. Not only is it Memorial Day, but uh, it's oh, it's the Senior Pro. PGA Tour. That too, uh, Senior PGA Tour. Uh, my 25th birthday. Uh, oh, that is true. I just want to know, you know, before I turn 25, Tom, uh, you you were that age at one point. What do I need to know uh, about entering year 25? Uh, it's all downhill from here. 
<laughs> like I, I feel like to be honest i feel like i shed an emotional tear on my 25th because i was like well you know you you got 18 and you got 21 and then you got sure you got 25 my insurance didn't even go down and i'm a hell of a driver um and i'm looking at it like okay insurance is supposed to go down a little bit you know you can rent a car now i'm sure you Finally. probably could have fin- finessed it before i'm sure with that voice over the phone, you probably could have rented a car at 15. Um, I've rented but, cars before, but it's not easy. I can tell you that much. I'm looking very much looking forward to this uh, rental car thing. Yeah, it's um, it's it's definitely different. Um, but then you get hit 25 and you're like, okay, well, what's next? And you're like, oh, no, 30's next. <laughs> and, you're, and I'm obviously 28. And so I'm like, oh, my gosh. Um. But, you know, it's all, I don't know, 28's been good, so I can't complain. But, um, yeah, Jones, what are you, what are you, what are your plans? Are you turning up this weekend? Oh, we're, we're definitely, we're going hard Friday night. Uh, and then I got an anchor at 10 a.m. Saturday morning. So it's going to be a quick turnaround uh, from, uh, doing it doing it big uh on friday and then going back on air my parents are coming into town this weekend for my birthday along with my sister so uh it'd be good to see the whole gang and such and also uh you know hang with friends and you know do brunch and stuff like that so it's uh it's gonna be a good time and uh you know i always look back tom at these times of reflection and uh I saw the picture that come that came up on my Facebook memories of uh, I guess my birthday around two years ago when I got the uh, the Kia I was driving. I got that around my birthday and such, and I just looked at that picture. I'm like, man, 23 year old Tyler Jones is a whole different person than 25 year old Tyler Jones. Like I was looking back, like I can't believe all that's happened in two years' time. And if I had to tell my younger self one thing, it would be to embrace the journey even more so. Um, You know, there's going to be some great times. There's going to be some difficult times. But in the end, it's all worth it. And to embrace it. And, you know, even the days that seem a little tough of some sorts with the frustration, it's all going to work itself out. It's all going to be okay. Just live in that moment. That's what I would tell my younger self Oh, you like the modern day Charles Dickens? It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. <laughs> oh. I mean, there's there's a lot of life experience in between 23 and 25. And I'll tell you, there's a lot more life experience between 25 and 28. <laughs> well, and, and Tom, you're, you're one of these people that has uh, known me now. What, going on? It'll be 10, 10 years. years, I guess. And, you know, I, I think about where we've evolved in this show, you know, we're coming up on that 10 year anniversary in July. And, and I would say that, you know, um, you know, we, we have matured in this process uh, of where we've come from, but uh, we've stayed true to ourselves too. I, I think that's where I would look back on, you know, I say, yes, I've changed, but both of us have changed for the better in, in that, in that time period. I, I think we still are the same people we were then. Oh, yeah, to some extent, for sure. Uh, I'd like to listen <clears throat> to the first show we did together. 
Yeah. I, I, I think I'm sure it's out there in an archive somewhere. It has to be. Yeah, it's there. The, the old blog talk radio. It's somewhere out there. We need to pull up those tapes. Uh, oh yeah, those those need we need to like a thirty for thirty. <laughs> I can only I can only imagine. Oh gosh, we got a lot to get to, and uh, where I want to start today is uh, Phil Mickelson's PGA Championship win, and we'll talk more about this with Taryn when she joins us coming up in just a bit. But I got to say, you know, looking back on this, uh, that scene on Sunday when. Phil picked up that win was just iconic with the crowd following Phil to 18 and, you know, giving him that roar and cheering him along the way here. I mean, Phil Mickelson's always been well-liked and well-respected throughout his entire career. But the thing that's been held against him, uh, which – has been unfair, but there's not really anything he could do about it, was the fact that he wasn't Tiger Woods, that he's just not Tiger. And, you know, here you had competing toe-to-toe with Tiger, one of the greatest golfers of all time, and had the charisma and the swagger and, you know, was a once-in-a-generation player and was always compared to that. And, you know, for, for Phil, with Tiger not playing on Sunday, with him recovering from injury and such, uh, and Phil, at 50 years of age, become the oldest PGA you know, winner, the oldest major champion ever, 50 years of old, almost 51. Um, what was cool for me looking at Phil pulling that off was that Phil got to have his moment, his day in the sun. After all these comparisons for all these years to Tiger and you know, for Tiger to have all those roars and the crowd – cheering him on and being the face of golf for quite some time. This was Phil's day. This wasn't his, and a historic day um, for a lot of reasons. And that's where I loved it was not only seeing him pull off something, you know, history making, but also to have his day. I don't know if Phil's going to win another, you know, uh, professional golf tournament ever again. He might on the senior tour of some sorts. I don't know if he'll win another, uh, professional event or another, uh, you know, major of sorts. But if that's the last win we see at Phil Mickelson, that was a hell of a way to go out. Yeah, it really was. And Jones, um, you know, you talk about the senior PGA and, and that he could potentially win. But, I mean, obviously this is bigger for him now. And you mentioned his day in the sun, that this is a very much deserved day in the sun. It's kind of like an NBA or NFL player that finally gets a ring. I like to compare it to like, okay, so in 2000, what is it, 2011, you had, you know, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning still going at it, but Drew Brees finally got his day in the sun um, and, and took that New Orleans team and, and, and finally got the job done. That's kind of what this feels like to me. Yeah, um, I can see that. I mean, um, you know, Yes, Phil had won the big events before, but he hadn't, you know, had that moment where he was the guy that day. And, you know, we, we looked at the age thing. What was so fascinating, too, with Phil pulling this off, Tom, was that uh, he was out driving his competition. This is a guy that 
you know, not only is 50 years old, but he's been dealing with arthritis for years. Um, the driver has not been his strength of sorts. You know, we, we saw for a while there, his tee shots at one point in time, not too long ago, he was using all irons for his tee shots just to keep the ball straight because he couldn't trust his driver. Now all of a sudden he's out driving everybody. I mean, th- this is just unheard of uh, to do what he did at this age. I mean, and, he's getting and pissed uh, up. it just goes to show too that um, you're never too old to play this game. Uh, this is a, a, a game that you can still age well. And, and really, I think that, you know, we talk about Tom Brady in the NFL, you know, wanting to play till he's 45 and he's what, you know, 43, 44 years old right now. I think you're going to start to see a trend, uh, whether it's golf or football or some of these other sports, you know, with the advances in technology, where we're going and, you know, guys having more access to things more than ever before, Phil and Tom Brady and these guys are going to be the trend centers. I think we're going to see more guys play longer because of seeing what guys like Phil Mickelson and Tom Brady can do at this age. Yeah. I mean, it really is like advances in medical technology coming back from injuries and just, I mean, you can even look to, and this doesn't even apply in Phil's case, but just the medical technologies that, you know, however many years ago, an ACL tear pretty much derails your career. And now uh, the turnaround time on ACL has essentially been cut in half, um, depending on what else you damage. So, uh, you know, I think it can be done. I think it can be done in golf a little bit more easier than it can be done in football. Uh, I mean, as much as the crowd was roaring, you'd think Phil probably got tackled at the end of that just in a joyous celebration. But, um, you know, it was it was so big for Phil to get the dub. I mean, it was and, – and Jones, I, I wonder – I'd like to know how he felt uh, you know, with the crowd roaring. I mean, that was them following Phil down 18 and then him hitting the shot right before the green. Um, and, and the crowd roaring like they did and like chasing, essentially chasing him to the green. Uh, that was his Tiger moment after so many years of hearing that on for Tiger on Sunday to finally have that to himself. Oh my gosh, I bet he felt like. You know, I'm, I don't even know what the purse was for that win, but uh, I'm sure he felt more and got more than a million dollars. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and I'm sure he probably said to himself, so this is what it's like for Tiger. You know, this is what he gets. Uh, that, that that was nice. You know, it was a nice feeling of sorts. Um, but, yeah, certainly happy for Phil to get this done. And we mentioned Tom Brady here. Uh, you know, he and Phil are good friends, and they're going to be in the match taking on Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers here in a couple of weeks. Um, maybe this was just the motivation Tom Brady needed to, to go ahead and play till 50. We heard the uh, the Bucks uh, GM a few weeks back say he thinks Tom can play to that age. Um, you know, if, if Brady needed any more motivation of some sort uh, – Gosh, I hope this wasn't it. Goodness. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, really cool to see those guys doing that. And speaking of, uh, the, the whole Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka feud uh, when uh, the, the video that, that, that went viral of, of, uh, of Brooks reacting to 
uh, Bryson DeChambeau walking by, just being disgusted by his uh, mere presence. That, that, that was just hilarious. I, I loved seeing that and seeing the true Brooks Kepka. We've been wanting to see Brooks kind of show some character more, and he's, he has really opened up within the last year or two. In that moment there, Tom, we've been trying to look for the next rivalry in golf for quite some time. Brooks Kepka came pretty close to winning this, by the way. He was right on Phil's toes. Um, ended up second, you know, two shots behind. Um, we've been waiting for that new you know, rivalry of sorts. We've been saying that these guys kind of get along too much of sorts. Uh, I think we have it now with uh, Bryson, who won the U.S. Open last year. Now Brooks Kepka, who's won, you know, done better than in majors than anybody since 2017. I'm here for it. I, I, I want to see these guys duke it out. Like, I think Brooks might just want to beat the crap out of Bryson, and I'm, I'm here for it. Do you know who would win that fight? Oh, man. Uh Bryson's got the big arms. That's what I'm saying. He looks like an old Ireland-style fighter. He looks like an unorthodox boxer. <laughs> Part of me says that, like, I look at Bryson, though, as kind of like almost a fake tough guy. Like, he's always trying to prove himself that he's this big, mat, you know, muscular dude of some sorts, and Brooks just kind of shows up and, you know, doesn't care. That's true. Brooks could be like a serial killer, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Brooks Kepka, the Kepka killer. I well, don't know. And I got an idea for this match. I know that, uh, you know, t Tom Brady and, and Phil are going to be taking on Bryson and, and Aaron Rodgers. And, uh, uh, oh, uh, you know, Brady had some fun with that on, uh, on Twitter, creating the memes and such. And, uh, referencing the uh, Packers uh, kicking a field goal when they were down by seven in the uh, NFC Championship game, you know, poking at Aaron and all that stuff there. Uh, let's get another team together, and here's my idea, Tom. Let's make this a three-team event. We'll, we'll keep Phil and Tom Brady involved, but let's go ahead and, for all intents and purposes, uh, bring in, bring in uh, Brooks Kepka and Jordan Love. Let's add them as a team to go head-to-head -head with uh, with those other guys. I don't know how – are we talking about fighting or are we talking about golf? We're talking about golf, the match, this event that's coming up in July. How good is Jordan Love? I don't care. Uh, I just want to see him uh, – you know, see, see how personal Rodgers and, uh, uh, and, and DeChambeau would take it, seeing uh, Brooks Kepka and Jordan Love paired together. Oh, man. I, I mean – we talked about Jordan Love before, that poor kid. But, uh, I mean, I say poor kid. He's he's balling out. Way, I mean, he's making way more money than I am. Um, to ride a bench. But, or, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, he's – that would be <laughs> – the, the media could only hope it would come to that. The storylines <laughs> that would be written, oh, my, if they – even if they did that as a joke uh, and, and absolutely got, you know, slaughtered. I mean, Brooks Kepka would have to carry Jordan Love. and assume, I mean, I don't know how good Aaron Rodgers is. I'm sure he's not terrible, but we all know Tom Brady's a pretty damn good golfer. Um, so, <laughs> they would be – I'm trying to think who else would, would even piss Aaron Rodgers off more. Who's the main GM guy of the Packers? 
Oh yes, the, the GM of the Packers. I can't I can't remember the name off the top of my head, but uh, yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, maybe we could bring in Belichick. Oh man, can you imagine Belichick and um, <laughs> oh, who else would be a good one to pair with Belichick? Oh. Gosh, uh, it'd be great. But nonetheless, it's going to be fun to see when uh, that event occurs in July. And and uh, a lot of good golf ahead. You know, we mentioned the senior PGAs in, in, uh, in our hometown of Tulsa. Uh, Jones, it's crazy right now. I bet. It's crazy. Uh, you can see all the all the stands and stuff from, from the road. I drove around uh, Southern Hills yesterday. It's down the street from my house. All the – all the stores around me are like this business parking only. There's welcome signs, welcome senior PGA tour. Freaking John Daly is in John Daly's down the street from me right now. And I am half tempted, technically working from home today. I am half tempted to go find the man. I'm gonna get a quick trip, buy a pack of cigarettes, maybe I don't know, maybe go get a cheap bottle of liquor from the store. And go find John Daly and lure him off the tee box. I love John Daly. When I saw him at the PGA Championship back in 2018 in St. Louis, it, it was like you know seeing a beast in the wild of sorts. It's a mythical creature at this yes. point. It's like a unicorn. It, it's <laughs> he's like the literal embodiment of what I hope my father-in-law one day would be. Right. We all need a John Daly in our lives. I love John Daly. I, I'll be I'll be doing a, you know a little bit of a little bit of DJing and karaoke this weekend in Tulsa and by God if he stops into where I'm at I'll have to just shut it down. <laughs> oh man, I can't wait. A year from now, the uh, the PGA Championship in Southern Hills in Tulsa. I've already told my bosses I need off the entire week. I will be there. Um, you know, I'll have a heck of a time. Uh, you know, th that's going to be a big deal. Uh, we've talked about that on this show before, just how big of a deal this is to have the PGA. And, you know, they've redone Southern Hills there. Um, you know, it's a different course than the last time it hosted major championships, you know, 15 years ago. Um, it's a much different course than it was then. Tulsa is a much different city than it was uh, back then. And I have no doubt in my mind that Tulsa is going to do a great job in hosting that PGA championship come next year. And, and uh, I'm excited to have front row seat for all of that. Uh, Tom, cancel all your plans, whatever you have it may be. That's going to be uh, one hell of a week. Oh, it is. And, you know, actually, Jones, I have a friend right now that volunteered um, for the senior PGA. And to my knowledge, if you volunteered for that, you automatically get a spot to volunteer for the actual PGA championship. So I'm like, God, Dan, I'm so jealous. If I'd have known that I would have volunteered too. So he's out walking Southern Hills. We got a bad weather day today though. Um, possible tornadoes today, Jones here in Tulsa and the Tulsa surrounding area. I'm sure you'll probably be covering some weather, uh, up in Omaha too. Um, so John Daly isn't scared of no tornadoes. And hopefully he is the tornado. <laughs> That's what I, I mean. Yeah. He's, he's like a tornado deterrent. He's any bad weather, not coming for John Daly. Not at all. 
Uh, let's go ahead and move on. Talk uh, NBA playoffs here. Uh, I want to start out with uh, the Lakers. Uh, they tied up the series with the Suns the other night, one game apiece. And what a ride it has been the last week. They survived the play-in game against the Warriors and then, you know, just took a shellacking in game one to Phoenix. Then they win game two and a tied that series one game apiece. And, you know, we, we knew things were going to be out of the ordinary for this Lakers team to be the seven seed, that they had their work cut out for them. But I think between these last three games, even the games they've won, it's been, it's been difficult. It hasn't been, you know, easy. Um, and, and I would say, Tom, that, you know, for the folks that are so convinced the Lakers are still going to pull this out, I'm not there. I don't even know if they're going to get out of this first round yet. I, I would think they will, but I don't say that confidently here. Um, the Lakers have a lot of work to do. This team just getting healthy, just getting back playing together. I know LeBron got banged up a little bit in, uh, in game one, I believe. But this team is 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 pretty flawed right now. They, they got a, a lot to figure out, and they got to figure out pretty fast here. Yeah, I mean, the Suns are holding their own, obviously, in game one. But, you know, game two towards the Lakers, I mean, this could go seven, 100%. And it's it's really going to depend on, you know, will we see AD shine? Uh, you know, he had a pretty solid night game two. And, you know, but so did DeAndre Ayton. So, uh, I mean, Booker, Chris Paul, Ayton versus essentially what's now AD and LeBron. Uh, you know, if they if they do go ahead and push the the Suns to seven, let's say they beat the Suns. Um, you know, you you talked about it even last week on the show when I was listening that that the Suns uh, are sorry the Lakers are kind of going in the opposite direction. You and Boa discussed that that okay, they're still going to see the same teams, but they're getting them in the opposite direction. Right. Um, if they push the Suns to seven and, and get past the Suns, they still have a pretty hard road ahead. I mean, this is not going to be easy. And I mean, you'd, if you're going to make a run at another championship, um, I don't care if you're the, the first or the eighth seed, you're, the road is going to be very tough. And I guarantee you don't want to go seven games in the first round. Oh, yeah. But I mean, it's looking like that. I mean, how much that this will be the true test to see if LeBron's actually a human or a robot. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, zero beard 30. And he's uh he's still tweeting. I thought he shuts it down for the playoffs. No, no uh no wine and no tweeting, but I, I think he's still partaking in both. It might be the uh the issue with the Lakers uh, right now, but <laughs> nonetheless, uh, Lakers get their work cut out for them. That's for sure. What about the Clippers right now? The Clippers did this whole self-destruct thing at the end of the season. You're trying to avoid the Lakers and all this. And they found themselves at the four seed where they wanted. And the Mavs took that personal, I think. And, you know, the, the Mavs get that five seed. They win the first two games of this series on the road, granted, now they have a chance to potentially sweep in Dallas 
what a run for the Mavs here to uh, to get these two wins. And in the case of the Clippers, you know, uh, the last few years, Doc Rivers has been the fall guy. Whether that's fair or not, he has been the fall guy. And now Doc Rivers is gone. And the problems with the Clippers, Tom, between Doc Rivers to Ty Lue haven't changed one bit. In fact, maybe they've even gotten worse. Yeah, it just shows that you it doesn't go always well when you try to build a super team. And honestly, Jones, the grass isn't greener. I, I mean, you can imagine that I'm kind of smiley about the Clippers taking that ass beat. <laughs> I mean, Kawhi had, a, Kawhi had a hell of a game. Um, but I can guarantee you Uncle Dennis for Kawhi is sitting back there like, where are we finna go next? Uh, and, and Kawhi's quiet anyway, but I can tell you one thing. He did not look very happy, um, in game two. I mean, so who knows? Who knows? The Clippers, I like to see the demise of the Clippers just as much as I like, I'd like to see the demise of the Houston Rockets. Um, I am, you know, for, for in the NFL as a fan, I'm not that hateful of a person. Uh, sure, you don't. I don't like. I don't care for the Seahawks. It's a, that's a division rival. It's like you probably don't like the Raiders, or you probably don't like the Ravens. Uh, you know, I don't have that much hate in the NFL. The NBA, I take it all personally. <laughs> and so, for the Clippers, you know, they're like, who are we going to put the blame on? We can't put the blame on Kawhi. <laughs> you know, the Mavs are going to do it. I don't know if they'll sweep them, but I'm going to say right now, five games, Dallas Mavericks win that series, and the implosion of the PG and Kawhi team occurs, and the Clippers go back into obscurity like they were for so many years. With uh, the Clippers here, I think that they're going to make Paul George the fall guy now because you look at his track record, you know, Indiana, they came close but couldn't pull it off. Oklahoma City, he played bad in the playoffs in Oklahoma City. And, you know, now with how things have gone again in the postseason uh, with Paul George, a guy that calls himself playoff P, I mean, you know, Paul George is probably one of the top 10, you know, maybe, maybe 15 to be safe best players in the world. But when it comes playoff time, I mean, Paul George, you know, he's crumbled. I mean, that's what it's shown, you know, time and time again. I, I heard it said on Twitter, Tom, he's not playoff P. He's pandemic P. He's got to be. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love – I wouldn't mind having him on my team, but it's not – It's he's not someone you can just go to. He can't be the first option and, and a lot of times can't be the second option. Uh, doesn't take away from a great career, but I mean, at this point, you know, one time, okay, shame on us. Second, third, fourth time, you start seeing a trend, and it's like, all right, man, all right, man. A lot of people used to try to say that about Danny Green of bad shooting night, bad shooting night. Well, then he follows up the games and wins you a game and is essentially on his path, Danny Green is, to win a third consecutive title in three years with the 76ers and how they're playing. So it's, he's one of those players and I, I hate that for him. You know, it probably sits in his mind when he has a bad playoff game. I mean, everyone's human, you know, it does. 
Uh, but I think you're absolutely right. He's going to be the fall guy uh, because he's so easy to make the fall guy. Eventually, they're going to run out of fall guys and realize that, listen, Clippers ain't ever won in a championship. Like, it's just not happening. You know, they, they wanted to be what the Lakers ended up being and what the Nets are now. And yeah. it just didn't happen. They're like the redheaded stepchild of the NBA. <laughs> How about the uh, the Utah Jazz? They fall in game one to Memphis. And then game two on uh, Wednesday night had a really nice recovery, the way that they rebounded uh, 141 points. That's going to get it done every time. 141-129 win to, uh, to take down the, uh, the Grizzlies there. Utah um, – Tom, I'm not as much concerned about Utah as I am the uh, the Clippers or or even the Lakers here. I think Utah is a good team. Memphis is just kind of riding a wave of sorts. I mean, you saw what they did with, you know, beating the Spurs, having that great win against Golden State, which nobody saw coming. And they rode that into momentum to get that game one win. I think the lock eventually runs out with Memphis. Credit to Memphis for what they've done, you know, John Morant's playing at a high level and such, but the Jazz, uh, the, I think they'll figure it out. I think the Jazz pulled this off within about, I, I would say probably make this a six-game series, which is fine with me. Yeah, yeah. I think Memphis is, is I think they've, for them, if I was a Memphis fan, I would be happy just, you know, it, it shows that the grit is still in Memphis. You can take the, you can take the grind boys out of Memphis, but you can't take the grit out of Memphis. Uh, that just seems like something about the city. Uh, you got Dylan Brooks, Ja Moran. I'll tell you who's underrated, Jonas Valanciunas. God, I would love to have him on the Spurs. Um, well, I mean, that whole team is, is just chock full of just tough minds. Yeah. Um, it, it must be that – I don't know what it is in Memphis. It must be that Mississippi River. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but what they've done, I think, is incredible. But you mentioned the Jazz. The Jazz will be fine. Donovan Mitchell didn't even play in game one, and supposedly he was pissed. <laughs> um, so, obviously, I, I think the Jazz are fine. You mentioned the Clippers again. I, we could spend this whole show talking about the demise of the Los Angeles Clippers, and I, you wouldn't hear a word out of me. Um but that being said, yeah, there's there's got to be some concern there for the Clippers. The Lakers' sons, I'm saying right now, what do they say? Whoever wins game three a lot of the time ends up winning the series. Yeah. I'll I'll say that. Okay. Whoever wins game three is going to take it. Now, I'm glad – I think it still go, could go seven. I'm glad you didn't go the route of Magic, who tweeted out on Wednesday night that the most important games of a series – or game three and game five. I'm like, well, what about game seven, Magic? Um, (laughs) (laughs) One more on the West, and then we'll move on to the East. Uh, Trailblazers, Nuggets. That series tied with one game apiece. Um, I liked the Nuggets when they had Jamal Murray, but no Jamal Murray here. I don't think this team can go that far. Um, Trailblazers, uh, you know, I, I don't think they have enough talent around Damian Lillard there. Should be a fun series, but I don't expect much out of either team, Tom. No, I mean, I always root for the Blazers, and they kind of get on the hot streak, kind of like Memphis is right now, on where they just – I don't I wouldn't even call Trailblazers shocking the world right now. 
but they do get on this hot streak, and I could see them beating Denver and then losing in the second round to whoever they pick up. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, all right. Um, you know, I can't, I wish Damian Lillard would get a title. I think he's one of the most deserving outside of maybe Chris Paul um, and Russell Westbrook. But other than those two, I think Lillard's on that short list of players I'd like to see to get a championship. Um, but, you know, it's just every year it's just not enough to do it. And, you know, he's in the West and we just talked about those up. We just talked about those other tough teams. I mean, hell, at this point, the way the Mavs are playing, they could make a run at it. So, uh, the Western Conference, this is, I think, the way that this played out and the way with the play-in, I think this is setting up for some of the best playoff basketball in the Western Conference we've seen in a while. I agree. Huh? I don't imagine any 4-0 sweeps. No, and uh, I don't see uh, there being a clear, obvious – favorite you know I would pick Utah to win the West but I don't say that with confidence um I know that you know the Lakers are the favorites by Vegas but it it doesn't seem just clear as day to me you know and we had a run there with uh you know the the Warriors uh and the Spurs you know a few teams here there for years that it was clear that you had to go through them. And I don't think there's that one established team right now. That's great for the league and great for the Western conference. Moving on to the East uh, Nets up 2-0 in their series with the Celtics here. Um, two things to look at this series, Tom, I think the Nets are going to pull off the sweep and the Nets are, you know, finding their groove and that team's coming together pretty fast. Steve Nash seems like he's doing a good job coaching up that group. He feels like, you know, the, the, the big brother, uh, you know, he's, he's not much older than those guys there, but they're, they're fighting their way along. Uh, and, and Kyrie, you know, who's always been a ball-centric point guard, has moved over to kind of be, a, you know, the shooting guard and let James Harden play point, which has been fascinating, and it's worked to this point. I, I like what the Nets have figured out with that dynamic there and figured out pretty fast. Uh, with the Celtics, this was a team – we kind of talk about the Clippers who – We've been told, okay, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, and it just hasn't happened. I mean, it's been a disaster, and it's not Brad Stevens' fault. It's Danny Ainge's fault. Danny Ainge has got to be the most overrated GM in basketball. I, I don't see how Danny Ainge survives this. Uh, I would be uh, shocked if he uh, still has a job by the end of this series because uh, it's not looking good for him and the Celtics' future at this point. I mean, Bill Simmons has to be in shambles right now. I mean, he's he, he's got to be. Uh, and and I think, you know, Celtics fans aren't as crazy in my mind as like Philly fans, right? But there's got to come a point. There has to be a point where they're like, okay, Danny Ainge needs it out of here. We can't we can't take it anymore because if this is if this is my team, I'm furious. I mean, you're exactly right. They're exactly like the Clippers of the East. I mean. They have all the pieces in place, but I mean, granted, I wouldn't want to pull the Nets in the first round either. But still, I mean, you got to play who's on the on the schedule. And right now, I mean, it's just like, what are the what are what are the Celtics even doing? Right. Um, I mean, it's a little disheartening. You you would think Sheesh. that this team would be 
you know, would rival is, is as far as the talent on the actual team, I think it rivals KG, Paul Pierce, Ray Allen. Yeah. And in, in, in terms of overall talent across the board. Right. Maybe I'm maybe I'm prisoner of the moment. I don't know. Um, but there's no reason the Celtics shouldn't be a, a, a top three for the East. Right. And, and, uh, and there's there's no reason they haven't there shouldn't be any reason they haven't made the finals yet. Right. And and I get it that Jalen Brown's gone, but this is not an excuse for everything that's transpired this year is just losing Jalen Brown within the last few weeks. I mean, they, their, their issues are bigger than one injury there. And even bigger than one year. This ain't, this ain't the first rodeo. No, not at all. Um, The uh, 76ers Wizards series, the uh, Sixers are up 2-0 there. Uh, Speaking of Doc Rivers, by the way, the Sixers look pretty dang good as they've been all season long. Uh, The Wizards, you know, This is a team I think that was happy to be there. Russell Westbrook was carrying this team on his back. They don't really have a whole lot of talent around him. Um, You know, I I expect the Sixers to sweep here, and the Sixers are a pretty decent team. I like what they've done all season. But, Tom, I'll believe it when I see it as far as how they compared the Nets. I think the Sixers are good, but I don't think they're, uh, they're Brooklyn good at this point. Yeah, I think the Nets can too, and I, I think they know this, can just turn it on when they need to. I mean, sure, the team has had some bad losses and some kind of some, I wouldn't call it mishaps necessarily, but a few of, well, you have all these players, shouldn't you be winning 72 games type situation? Which, you know, they could, sure. But um, that being said, I mean, this, I mean, it's, it has to be for the Nets. It has to be we're coming home with the Larry O'Brien or bust. Yeah. Um, and I think they all know that. And I think James Harden knows that. And Kyrie's been there before. Obviously, Katie's been there before. I mean, it will be funny. This, other than outside of the Thunder years, this will be the furthest James Harden probably goes. Um, whether that be all the way to the end with the Larry O'Brien or probably the Eastern Conference Finals at least. Right. Um, so it's been a while for James Harden, but you have to imagine the Nets overall probably the clear favorites and, and have been for a while. I mean, they can, like I said, can turn it on when they need to, and I think they will. Hawks and Knicks, it doesn't feel right that one of these teams is going to win a playoff series uh, based <laughs> on their success <laughs> The last decade, but nonetheless, one of them will. And it's been a pretty entertaining series so far through two games. Trey Young silencing the crowd there at MSG. Uh, The way MSG's just been rocking with that playoff atmosphere. Tom, you and I were told our entire lives that playoff basketball at MSG is just something special. And we're like, yeah, we haven't really seen that much of it, in all honesty. And (laughs) the way that things have played out the last few nights, it's just been an electric factory at that place. And, uh, you know, Julius Randle's played out of his mind and such. Neither one of these teams have any shot, I think, to win the East. But they're certainly entertaining uh, the, as, as far as this series goes uh, between the Hawks and Knicks here. And uh, credit to both their coaches uh, for getting them to this point. I think they've overachieved. The Hawks, when Nate McMillan took over, had a losing record. He's done a great job with that team. The Knicks, nobody 
had them on the, their radar to have the year they're having and for Julius Randle to have this breakout year. I think for both these teams, you could say they're kind of just happy to be here. It doesn't really matter who wins this series because they're not doing anything. Uh, just kind of enter- just entertaining, just the joy of the playoffs, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it kind of is. I mean, the first win for the Knicks in eight years, um, to be honest, I thought it was longer than that. Um, but, you know, credit to both of them. I guess if I had to pick one right now, you know, you, you mentioned before the show, Trey Young not making any friends in New York. Well, he's not making any friend of me either. I, I'm rooting for the Knicks. Uh, but like you mentioned, it, it doesn't matter who wins this. Whoever draws him in the next round is going to be happy. Right. Uh, Heat and Bucks. Uh, the Bucks up two games to none over the uh, Heat. The Heat have really uh, just fallen off. Uh, that still like they've still as if they're still on a hangover of sorts from the NBA Finals last year. They haven't been the same team this year, which I think was a big surprise to everybody. Everybody thought they're kind of just going to pick up from where they left off. Meanwhile, the Bucs, 2-0 series lead. They're the three seed. Budenholzer fighting for his job this year. Um, you know, we, we know the talent they have, but beyond Giannis, you know, with Chris Middleton and some of those other guys here, um, good start for the Bucs, and uh, I, I think they're a bigger threat to the Nets than, uh, than Philadelphia is. It's not a uh, – you know, I, I'm still just not buying into Philly. I need to see more before I can be completely all in. Milwaukee, I think, still a more talented team. I like the way they've started here these, uh, these first two games, Tom. Yeah, I mean, Giannis just does something for you that Embiid could never. Um and you know, sure, Simmons is all right, but I agree. I, I think the Bucks have more of a potential to to make it. That's not taking anything away from the 76ers. Um, but it just feels like at this point that Milwaukee could go on a run. Um and and you know, eventually see the 76ers. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see. The Heat, however, I mean, they gotta get <clears throat> excuse me, they gotta get I sound like Doc Rivers there for a second. Um, they got to get <laughs> Tyler Hero off the gram. Tyler Hero Instagram is not as good as Tyler Hero pre, you know, celebrity status. Right. Um, but that being said, if this continues, how long before Jimmy Butler makes a fuss? Yeah, I would when say. It's, when it's good, it's good. When it's bad, it's terrible. It's like a ticking time bomb, right? You would think so. Uh, and, you know, Maybe Pat of all this, Tom, Jimmy Butler and Kawhi team up and just go, you know, balls to the walls, just take no prisoner. I mean, they would if Kawhi and Jimmy Butler teamed up, the, the opponent's score, it would be like the, the games of the early – it would be like the Spurs-Piston series. I mean, you know, the final score being like 89 to 81. <laughs> Oh, they would uh, they would just give a death stare to anyone that stood in their way. Like it would be it would be war every time they took the court. Yeah, it would be, and and you know we might not be too far off of that. It's they'll find a way. I think they will. All right, I don't know where. Yeah. We'll we'll mark this tape as we're taping on uh, May twenty seventh that uh, we mentioned the idea of Jimmy and Kawhi pairing up if. Uh, 
this doesn't go well in uh, the postseason. But nonetheless, that is a look around the NBA playoffs. We're going to talk more golf with uh, Taryn Gregson coming up next. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's football fix as we go around the National Football League. And we'll have our Tom Fulbury Story of the Week coming up as well. More to come here on the Jones Report. Stay with us. Join us now on the Jones Report this week is Taryn Gregson, PGATour.com reporter. As we look back on Phil Mickelson's great win at the PGA Championship last week. Taryn, appreciate the time. As always, I know it's been a minute since we last talked. What's going on? Hey, thank you for having me. It's always great to chat with you and my fellow Midwesterner, uh, if you will. Yeah, uh, everything's good. I've been continuing to work from my home studio, which I'm in currently. uh, But, you know, everything else is normal. I'm doing the takeaway uh, nightly for PGATour.com and PGATour social media. And I also am still doing the good, bad, and unusual on Mondays. It goes up on PGA Tour YouTube and social media there. So um, still having a blast getting to cover golf and um, recap each night and each week's action. And, and you got a new kid at home too, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's the exciting personal side of it. Um, I have a baby at home. She's currently taking a nap on her monitor right (laughs) here. So, um, but it's been, it's been wonderful and it's been God's timing for us since I've been able to work from home now uh, during all of the pandemic and everything. It's been a tiny blessing. That part has been a tiny blessing for us to be able to be home with her. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic to see it all work out for you in, uh, in that sense, as far as that goes. Uh, so, so Taryn, I got to know, uh, in this time, uh, I know you're busy with the kid at home and everything, but with everybody trying to find something to do in the pandemic, I know we're coming towards the end. Did you get more golf in or were you playing less your, yourself during this stretch? Um, you know, that's a great question. I think for a tiny part of it there, I was playing a little bit more than normal, but then, you know, yeah, it's been a little bit difficult to get out there with with the new baby, but she's we take her along um, with us. She's pretty good, but my my solo rounds where I just zip around the course real quick, those are pretty much non-existent now. So um, yeah, I'd say I'd say it's about on par to what my plane was before. You know, even though work isn't wasn't as busy during sure. that time, my family life was. So yeah. That's great. That's uh, that, that's good to hear. Tara, uh, first off, just what was your initial reaction seeing Phil pull it off at the uh, PGA Championship this uh, past weekend? It was incredible. You know, I was actually off on Sunday. I wasn't working. I usually do work Sundays, obviously, but I had a family um, thing that I had to attend to. So I didn't, I was off work, but you know, we did our family outing and we came home and we turned it on. Like we had to, we, I had to watch Phil play, you know, I was supposed to be off work, but I couldn't not watch uh, Phil try and pull this off. And I just have to say it was incredible, you know, watching the whole thing was entertaining, obviously, because there was just a lot of drama. Um, You know, he kind of stumbled a little bit there down the stretch and, seemed like he might be opening the door for possibly Louis Kepka was kind of hanging around, but sort of out of it by that point. And you just, it was, you know, everyone was rooting for him. I was 
just out and about earlier in the week, you know, going to the grocery store and, and at a church event and just people were coming up to me, like, do you think Phil's going to pull this off? Do you think Phil's going to pull it off? And just people that wouldn't normally have even talked golf with me, um, were excited about it leading up to Sunday, even so earlier in the week, you know, he had, had all of that buildup and all of that hype. And it, it was just so incredible to see history being made and uh, the fans all there getting into it. Um, and it was just, it was really cool. It was reminiscent of, I was actually fortunate to be in a, be there whenever Tiger Woods in 2018 won the tour championship and all the fans came mm-hmm. up behind him and Rory McIlroy as, as they were going up to the green. And it was obviously very reminiscent of that and just such a historical, historical event. I mean, I had, like I said, I had some family there and I had, um, my godchildren, you know, they're little, you know, 12 and four. And I said to him, I said, you guys are watching history right now. This is something that you will probably maybe look back on and remember, um, the 12 year old, of course. So that was just, it was neat. It was cool. It felt like it was bigger than sports. You know, we've all been going through this tough time and we've been waiting to see crowds again and such, but to see that crowd emerge among Phil, I mean, it it was so uplifting. I mean, how could you not just uh, smile at that moment? You didn't even have to be a golf fan, I think, to appreciate that. Oh, I think the whole sports world and the whole world itself was was watching that moment because, you know, there's just like you said, there's so many layers to that story. Um, Phil becoming 50 years old, becoming the oldest major champion that in itself, you know, obviously is the is the big layer of the historical um, part of that. But, you know, it's just so neat to be able to see someone accomplish a feat like that at no matter what age. And that's what makes golf so wonderful, right? Is that, um, you know, even a 50 year old can go out and win a major championship um, and compete against, you know, guys that are in their twenties and their prime. And so that part of it's so cool. Phil, you know, really hasn't been playing that well lately on the PGA tour. Um, the week prior or this, his start prior at the Wells Fargo championship, he got us all a little excited. He, uh, let, he shot, I think it was a 64 led after the first round at, at quail hollow and got us all excited. And then I think the rest of the way he shot like 11 over par the rest of the week combined. So, um, you know, he had kind of fallen back into his, his ways that he had had earlier in the season, he had missed six cuts, including at the U S open, He uh, was, you know, he's been very errant off the tee, which is typical for Phil, but it's really gotten him into trouble um, lately. And he's, he's had issues putting full four full rounds together for a decent week. And so that I think was another, if you're a golf fan and you knew that part of it, it was just really cool to see Phil, you know, come out and put, um, put four good rounds of golf together. And um, it's just, it's such a neat story. He's obviously an entertainer at heart and he knows how to entertain all of us and is quite the showman. So, um, you know, we witnessed that on Sunday when he chipped in out of the bunker. Um, that's just Phil for you there. So, um, yeah, it's, there's so many reasons why it was just incredible. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and let's talk about just Phil for instance, you know, his circumstances, you mentioned, 50 years old, becoming the oldest major champion ever. But here's a guy that, you know, has dealt with arthritis for quite some time now. And 
you know, there, there was a period of time not so long ago where he wasn't even using his driver because he was you know, just trying to figure out how to get the ball off the tee and keep it straight here. I mean, this stretch, this eight years between major wins, this has been a long time coming for Phil. We, we didn't know if we were going to see this type of level of competition from him ever again. I mean, it looked like that the senior tour was going to be his – is next step of sorts that that was going to be the, the next time we see him win. Now, uh, just I'm in awe that we're seeing him still compete at the PGA level like that. Absolutely. Yeah. We had no idea what we were going to get from Phil in this next chapter in his life. And he had said, you know, coming into this or coming in prior to him turning 50, that he had no interest in the champions tour, that he was going to con- continue to compete on the PGA tour. Well, he kind of changed his tune there because he he wasn't competing and hanging around with the young guys on the PGA Tour. He when he turned 50, he went out there and he uh, on the PGA Tour champions and was like, hey, I'm going to give this a shot. Well, he, you know, won and back to back his first two times he went out or his first time he went out there and then um, won twice right off the bat. So he was like, you know what? I am dominating champions tour. This is great. I know that I have this as, you know, an outlet for me in the future if I, if I need to, but I think that that reignited his spark um, to get back out there and knew that he could win because that's part of it is just um, it's just winning. It's hard to win a golf tournament period, whether that's on the corn Ferry tour, PGA tour, Latino America, a mini tour event. It's just difficult to mm-hmm. win a golf tournament tournament, no matter what level you're competing on. So I think that that helped him, get over that hump of, okay, Hey, I can get back out there and I can win on no matter what tour I'm competing on. And, but he still struggled when he came back and played on the PGA tour. And um, yeah, I think that he, he had been working on some things off the tee. Obviously that still isn't completely remedied. I don't know if it ever will be. Um, He's still hitting it all over the map sometimes off the tee, but you know, Phil, he can escape pretty much anything. And that's on 18 uh, on Sunday. Uh, I mean, I know out away. It's still found a way um, with the crowd all around him, with the pressure, like everything that, that shot on 18 out of the rough was pretty fantastic. Um, But yeah, he just, we didn't know where, where his career was going. And he showed us that he was, uh, he was doing just fine. And um, it was also, I have to say, it was really neat to, we know Phil Mickelson, obviously we've seen him win several majors with Jim Bones Mackay on the bag, but this was his first one with his brother, Tim on the bag. And I just got goosebumps whenever the two of them hugged um, off the green or on the green there, whenever he won. I mean, to those two have obviously grown up together and been through a lot together. And here Tim is, um, you know, with Phil here in his last, his, you know, later chapter of his career. And it was just so cool to see that family moment. Oh, and the phone call to Amy afterwards and such. I mean, all of it uh, was just great to see. And for, for golf, I mean, the ratings, were very solid for the weekend, it seemed. We wondered what this next stage without Tiger for a bit as he continues to recover would look like. And with the way that Phil performed and, you know, these other golfers stepped up, seems like the the health of the sport is, is doing just fine. Obviously, we want Tiger back and wish him a speedy recovery. But uh, I, I was very impressed with not just Phil, but how well the rest of the field uh, 
you know, performed as well. I mean, it seems like they're carrying their way to uh, drawing some eyeballs, some attention now. Absolutely. And, you know, I think Bryson DeChambeau kind of, uh, you know, he really drew in some sports fans in general. Um, you know, whenever we came back from our little pause for the pandemic, you know, when he came back 35 pounds heavier and bulked up and um, trying to hit smash it off the tee as far as he can. I think that that really drew in some new fans and some excitement into the sport. And that wasn't just a flash in the pan for Bryson. I mean, he has really kept that up. He's been training um, with world long drive champions. I mean, he is serious about this distance off the tee. It wasn't just a little, you know, he obviously used that pause for the pandemic to his advantage. He really put in the work during that time where some people might have just kind of uh, taken that time to relax which is also, you know, that's a tactic too. you know, rest your body and, and, and get back into it whenever we come back. Well, Bryson didn't, he just kept going and he has kept that going throughout this, this whole time. You know, he went on to win the U S open in the, in the fall uh, last year, and he has kept things um, going on the course. He, Arnold Palmer invitational week. That was one of some of our highest performing uh, videos and some of our biggest numbers was at the Arnold Palmer invitational when Bryson won, because he was just smashing it off the tee and it was really, um, exciting and people, golf fans, sports fans alike just were really into it. Yeah. I mean, the, the guy is polarizing, uh, to say the least. And then you got this whole feud with Brooks Kepka. What'd you make of that? And, uh, that, that little exchange there towards the end on Sunday. You know, I have no insider info on that. I'm not really sure what that scenario, you know, what their dynamic is there. Um, It's obviously been, that's been another layer of entertainment for people. You know, I always, you know, not that you want to, rivalries and, uh, and such are good for sports. You know, it's been good for the NBA, for the NFL. It's entertaining to see these guys um, have a little rivalry out there. We had that rivalry for a while there with Phil and Tiger. Um, and then, you know, they've obviously kind of, um, you know, settled into a different, more of a mentorship type role in this latter half of their career. And that's kind of gone away. And so we've had this kind of new era in golf where all these guys are such good friends. They all obviously when they go out there and play, they want to beat each other on the course during competition, but um, they do so in a, you know, friendly way and in a friendly manner. Um, They go on vacations together. That's just not something that we normally see from other sports, right? So um, I think that rivalries are entertaining and I think that they're good as long as you know, we, we make sure and we're um, respectful as much as we can be, but I, I don't see any problem with the little rivalry. I think it's kind of entertaining. Oh, and now you you go from that to what was announced this week with Phil with the match. He and Tom Brady taking on uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers here, and we see uh, Brooks chime in, of course, uh, you know, on Twitter, uh, feeling bad for Aaron and Tom Brady with his memes and such here. Uh, I, I just wish we could get Bryson involved. Maybe, uh, maybe we can get Jordan Love of the Packers uh, to, to be on that team too. Let's do a, a three-team match of sorts, Jared. Uh, yeah, well, Bryson is involved in the match. Bryson. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Brooks involved. I mean, right. Brooks involved yeah. in the yeah. match. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They have chimed in on social media. Bryson. They've all had some pretty funny 
uh, stuff on social media. I think they're all taking notes from Tom Brady because um, he's been pretty good on social media yes. with with the uh, memes and the jabs and everything, especially since he has gone to Tampa. You know, ever since he left New England, we've kind of seen a whole new personality of Tom Brady on social it. media. And it's great. So um, I know the timing on the, all of this has been crazy. But, um, you know, this week, I think maybe it'll calm down a little bit after this, everything uh, calms down on social media. We've got the Charles Schwab challenge this week. Phil is playing this week right now. He's, you know, this is early um, on, on Thursday, but he's over par. I think he's plus two right now. Jordan Spieth though, he is two under, he's another layer to that whole, how is how is the state of golf? Jordan Spieth playing well and winning on the PGA tour also is great for golf. And it's so much fun. It makes my job a lot of fun whenever Jordan Spieth, oh, yeah. Spieth is playing well. Oh yeah. Well, and uh, with this, with the match, uh, you know, going on in July that we'll see again, uh, that thing has really taken off, you know, Tiger and Phil started that and now where it's headed uh, here um, I mean, I, I'm excited for that. That should be uh, fun to see how that all unfolds. It seems like people responded well to, you know, having those guys mic'd up and the access and all that. that that's been must-see TV every time they've done it, it seems. Yeah, you know, that was so much fun. Um, I guess that's going on maybe three years ago when Tiger and Phil reignited that uh, that match. You know, we used to have some of those exhibition matches in golf Um you know, several years ago and those kind of went away for a little while. So that was fun that they brought them back. And then it was just a perfect time during the pause for the pandemic to bring something like that back. You know, golf was one of the first sports aside from the UFC to come back uh, during the pause for the pandemic and the match uh, was kind of the ramp up to that, you know, it was before the week before competition started on the PGA tour and people were just, people wanted sports, you know, they wanted live sports and it was really cool this tiger and Phil and Peyton and, and Brady do that. And, you know, <laughs> Brady was so entertaining, you know, he like, he's, he ripped his pants. He hold out from the fairway. I mean, come on, you can, who knew that that was, those things were going to happen. Um, and, you know, just adding the mic'd up part of that, that just really made it um, entertaining. So I think it was cool that they have now added the celebrities into right. that layer of the match too. I think that adds a little something that we don't normally get to see. Well, so. The one they had in November, of course, Phil mm -hmm. of all people would be able to fix Charles Barkley's golf swing. I mean, uh, if anyone was going to do it, it was going to be Phil. I mean, that was great to see. So it's yeah. uh, it's been a great product. Hopefully, it continues for uh, for quite some time. Uh, we we mentioned Tiger, by the way. What's uh, what's Tiger's status at and all that? I know he's still recovering. We we'd love to see him back out there. Uh, where, where are things at with Tiger right now, uh, as far as uh, his progression and such, from what you've heard? From what I've heard, you know, things are going relatively well. We knew that it was going to be a very long road to recovery, but you know, he seems to be. Um, on track, if not possibly a little head of track. But as far as that timeline, what does that mean? None of us really know. We did get a little bit of insight over the past couple of weeks. I think it was two 
two or three weeks ago that he um, posted on his social media, a photo of him and his dog bugs out there, um, you know, doing some short game practice out on the course. And then we saw a photo this past week during PGA championship week of him and um, a a little girl um, out there. He helped to brighten, I believe she may have cancer or something like that. He helps brighten her day. Um, you know, and so he was out and about in public in that photo. So that was kind of neat to see. And then, um, you know, Steve Stricker, captain Steve Stricker on the writer, the U S Ryder cup captain, um, kind of gave us a little bit of insight this week too. Um, you know, obviously it was kind of up in the air, whether or not Phil was going to even be a part of the Ryder Cup team. He definitely wasn't on track to qualify um, outright for it. it. We were all wondering if he would even get an invitation to it, um, which would have been, you know, an it's a historic streak of starts that he's had on us team competition and that he would have broken that streak. And, you know, obviously things are a little different now that he's won the PGA championship, but Steve Stricker, captain Stricker was asked about Phil and tiger's involvement. And he said that, you know, tiger Phil's obviously speaks for himself, but tiger he's, he's spoken to and that tiger wants to help out in any capacity that he can. So, um, whether that means he's a consultant from home or if he's able to kind of be in in an assistant coaching role at the course, you know, that would be pretty neat to see um, Tiger back in public for the first time as an assistant captain on the Ryder Cup team. So we'll see. But Stricker definitely gave us a little bit of insight that, you know, Tiger's ready to uh, get back into golf, you know, as he can during this recovery period. That's great. That's great to hear. What a year for golf, too. I mean, we got two more majors remaining. Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the Ryder Cup and all that coming up at the end of the year. And, and of course, the FedEx Cup playoffs, Olympic golf going on as well. I mean, uh, tell me about just the, the events ahead. This should be a special year, it seems, on, on, for, for golf as a whole. Oh, absolutely. You know, we're, we're in the wraparound season. So our, our seasons go from fall to uh, the end of summer. So we've already had four majors by this point. Um, We've had the U S open in the fall, the masters in November, the masters in the spring, and now the PGA championship. And we, we still have two more to go. We still have the U S open and the open to go. And then, like you said, Um, We're adding in, you know, the Olympics into that, the Ryder Cup into that. And, oh, guess what? We also have the uh, FedEx Cup playoffs and the Tour Championship in the mix on all of that, too, coming up this summer. So it's quite the stretch for these guys. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how many of them manage their schedule moving forward, um, because, you know, of course, they're going to want to be qualifying for the FedEx Cup playoffs. You know, they've got that big. $15 $15 million prize at the end of the tunnel here, if they were to go on to win the FedEx cup. So, um, you know, they've got to balance that with the two majors remaining and, um, the Olympics and, and the Ryder cup, you know, caps off the end of the season so that they can kind of put, um, in the back of their minds, I think the Ryder cup, but they definitely have to see how they're going to manage, um, the two remaining majors and the Olympics all before, the uh the playoffs begin oh yeah yeah now location wise where uh where where these events going to be held uh throughout the uh the year where where are some of the notable spots well i think that we all really need to get excited about 
Tory Pines and the mm-hmm. U.S. Open coming up because, you know, Phil Mickelson still does not have that uh, career Grand Slam. So he still needs that U.S. Open. And if he's going to maybe do it anywhere, it could be at his beloved Tory Pines. So um, not only is it an awesome venue and I've had the privilege of going there, we usually have the Farmers Insurance open there every year on the PGA Tour. Right. So we get a chance to see it every year, but it's going to be interesting to see it um, in U.S. Open uh, conditions with the rough up and and um, it'll be interesting to see it also at a different time of the year. We normally or we do see it. We've already seen it um, toward the beginning of the year um, and you know, like January time period. Well, now we're going to get to see Torrey Pines here in the summer. And that's only a couple of weeks away here, like a month away, the U.S. Open. And then the British Open is going to be uh, the Open Championship, um, I believe, at Royal St. George's. That's where it was supposed to be last year. But we they canceled the Open um, completely because of the pandemic. So we get to see that come back, which um, is really neat. And that's another place to look for you know, someone like a Phil Mickelson to be able to win the open championship, in my opinion, is the one major that anyone, no matter your age can win. You know, if Tiger does, you know, come back from his injury and does play on the PGA tour again, I feel like the open is the one major that he could maybe pull off because it's just, it, you know, anyone can win on those link style courses and with the weather conditions and things like that, it really just kind of levels the playing field that anybody is able to pull that off. So, you know, we actually kind of have two majors coming up that Phil could maybe shock, shock and surprise us all. That would be really neat to see something like that. Oh, it would be, it would be for sure. And, uh, you know, Taryn, you, you and I both being Midwest people, we always, Love to see golf out here. I remember when, you know, we had the PGA Championship in Bell Reeve and how terrific that was back in 2018. And, you know, this week you have the uh, senior PGA going on in my hometown in Tulsa. They'll have the PGA next year. The uh, U.S. The senior U.S. Open is going to be where I'm at now in Omaha later this year. Great to see golf making its way back to the heartland. They have some some pretty decent events, which we don't typically get to see too often around Absolutely. And I'm excited. Uh, My hometown of St. Louis, um, we get our first um, return of golf to St. Louis. Um, We've had some events here and there and obviously in the city, but we have the PGA championship is now going to start up a regular a stop there uh, at in um, in North St. Louis. So I'm really excited for that. Um, the Ryder Cup is in the Midwest this year. We've got kind of our Midwest swing now that we've, we've added to the PGA Tour schedule where we've got, um, if you consider Detroit in the Midwest, we've got Detroit, uh, the Twin Cities, um, and of course the, the John Deere and, um, and Illinois and, and everything. So we've got sort of that little, uh, Midwest swing also on the PGA tour. And if you're, um, looking in Midwest to get out to some events, the corn Ferry tour, um, comes through the Midwest quite often. And I think it's a lot of fun to get out there. You can get like very close, um, to these guys out there and you never know, um, if you get somebody's autograph on the corn Ferry tour, what that could turn into and be worth um, in the future. It's really neat. Those guys are um, have some neat stories out there on the Corn Ferry Tour. Yeah, I think they were just in KC last week, actually. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, and they had a really good turnout there. Great to see golf in the uh, Midwest uh, supported like it is uh, on such a high level. Uh, fantastic for sure. Uh, Taryn, uh, before we let you go, uh, tell me the rundown of where people can 
find all the great work you're doing and and what's coming up with you in uh, PGAtour.com here. Well, thanks. Yes, you can catch me um, every night after play ends in the takeaway on PGAtour.com and PGA Tour Facebook and Twitter. And then every Monday, I recap the entire week and the good, bad, and unusual. And that is posted on PGA Tour YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. So um, you can, I'm always out there trying to recap the action in a fun way. It's not your typical highlights that you'll be able to see anywhere online. Um, we try to insert some of the fun and weird stuff that also happens out on the course on a pretty daily basis, actually. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then, you know, there's, uh, we have PGA Tour Live that people can watch golf all day long, starting um, most days at 8 a.m. and going all the way through plans at 7. So you don't have to wait until it comes on Golf Channel or CBS or NBC at, you know, 1 or 3 o'clock. You can start watching it at 8 a.m., which is a lot of fun on PGA Tour Live. And um, we've just got a lot of fun, exciting things coming down the pipe on the um, media and the content side here at the PGA Tour that golf fans are just going to be so excited about here in the com- in the years to come. Oh, yeah. Are, are you getting out to any events anytime soon, Taryn? Um, I'm not sure yet. I've got a few possible ones out there uh, on my schedule that I, that I might be going to. It was awesome to get back out there for um, the Players' Championship here in my backyard in um, Jacksonville, Florida. Got to go to the Arnold Palmer Invitation in Orlando. So um, things are starting to pick back up for us um, on the travel side as well. That's great to see. Uh, Awesome stuff. Taryn, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, Hopefully uh, you get some more chance to get out there and and play some too. And we'll uh, certainly be talking down the line. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Time for Coach Mo's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, oagks.com, o'connoradvisorygroup.com as well. You can also reach out to Bo by phone, 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. By email, brian.o'connor at lpl.com. That's brian.o'connor at lpl.com. And also O'Connor Advisory Group on Facebook. Coach Bo joins us right now. Bo, since we last talked, have you cleaned your sheets? Clean my sheets. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. Yes. yes. <laughs> the, wife, the wife is in charge of that. See, once you once you get married, uh, you know, sometimes. Well, I don't, I don't want to say every time, but you know, the wife does do the laundry in our house, which I'm grateful for. So before I select a sexist asshole, <laughs> I, I am very, very grateful for everything she does around the home. I try to do as I try to do whatever I can to help her. Sometimes that means just getting the hell out of the way. So yeah, but yes, yes, you gotta keep the sheets clean, man. How'd that go last week? How did everybody did you get any feedback on that yet? Everybody loved it. They loved the advice. Uh, in fact, we had some suggestions. Folks are saying we need to get Coach Bo's advice more often on just life and things in general. I'll, I'll tell you what, Coach Bo was filling it last week. I will be happy to do it. Anytime. So, yeah, anytime. If you've got some advice you need, look, I'll tell you what to do. It's not, it's not, I'll tell you what to do. It's just a matter of you following through and doing it. And it's, you know, that's just the story of everybody's life. Oh, I listened to you. Uh, as of right now, my sheets are actually in the washing machine. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know the trick, right? You actually wash the comforter first. But you didn't know about that, did you? No. Because 
it's the thing that takes the longest to dry. True. You can get a lot of wash done while it's got to dry. Sometimes you got to run it twice through. It's a good so, point. Yeah. So Fair point. don't try to do that like on a night before you go to bed. You're not going to get it done. You're going to be sleeping with wet sheets or with a wet comforter. It doesn't work than that. <laughs> What's going on this week? Blanket. What's going on this week at O'Connor Advisory Group? Man, we have been busy. We're trying to get everything done before uh, Memorial Day. Obviously, I want to take half day Friday, go help my brother move and uh, do some stuff for him. He actually called me a little bit ago. I had to send him, voice, send him to the voicemail. So I hope when he hears this later, he knows that I'm not mad. I just got to send him the voicemails. I'm busy recording a podcast. Um, but no, we're getting ready to do that. Um, hey, this time of year, I tell you what, we've had a lot of a couple things already. I had a couple of inquiries on this. If you know anybody that is going through a situation, with their job. The job has said, hey, we're going back to our office. If you don't want to come back or if they're downsizing a little bit and they're offering employees buyouts and you're thinking, hmm, a buyout might be an okay idea. We can help you take a look at that buyout. We can help judge it for you. And we will do that free of charge. We will go through with you. You work directly with me on that. And I will help sit down with you and decide based upon your individual situation if the buyout is the best bet for you. So anybody out there listening who knows somebody or then themselves have been offered a buyout, give me a call. Go to O'ConnorAdvisorGroup.com, O-A-G-K-S.com. Hit the click to contact us directly to me, and I will be happy to do an appointment. If you're not here in Lawrence, we can do Zoom. We can do it on the phone. We can do whatever you want. We can help you anywhere in the country, and we can help you with that, make some good decisions. I know a lot of folks get very confused by that. So, man, give us a shout. Love it. That's great, Bo. Let's start with Aaron Rodgers. He was on Sports Center on Monday. Kenny Maine's last show. By the way, love Kenny Maine. Hate to see him yeah. go. Uh, hopefully he, he stays around and does uh, – something of some sorts where we, we still get to hear from Kenny Mayne from time to time. But nonetheless, the interview with Aaron Rodgers didn't seem kind of newsworthy at first. You know, they're kind of going back and forth. And then Aaron says, well, his conflicts with Green Bay are not about the draft pick, nothing against Jordan Love. He loves Jordan Love, but about the culture in Green Bay is what his beef is. Bo. What do you think Aaron means by that? What what does this imply with his issues, it, the culture in Green Bay? It is very simple. Culture in Green Bay means I don't like that I'm not in charge. <laughs> I don't like that I don't have a say. I'm the franchise quarterback. Every other franchise quarterback has a say. Why in the hell don't I? This is clearly a shot across the bow at the general manager. This is good. This is going to end up being ugly. I still think he's playing for the Packers this season. I don't think they're going to trade. But I do think that this is his last season as a Green Bay Packer. And I, I you know, I know he's, he's not at, not at uh, minicamp, so about half the offense sounds like. But I don't think that's an issue, really. I mean, a lot of players miss minicamp. And I think, you know, coming out of COVID like this, I think a lot of people just aren't going to do that. And honestly, why the hell would you want to go to Green Bay? Um, so 
I don't see that as a big deal. I do think this is clearly a shot across the bow. You say, hey, I don't like you. We better get you out the paint if you want me to stay. If I, I do think he's trading at the end of the season. I don't think it'll happen before the season. I don't think Green Bay is going to be willing to take the salary cap hit. But uh, it was clearly that they're not going to talk. I want to know. I want to be on board. I want to see somebody. There's going to be some lucky son of a bitch who gets to do this too. There's going to be some reporter who gets to go cover the Green Bay Packers all season and gets access to Rodgers all season. If Rodgers is smart, I mean, he is smart. But if if he wanted to make some cash on this, have someone follow him and write a book mm-hmm. about this coming season. It's going to be dysfunctional as hell. And if the Packers do anything this season, it's going to be because of Aaron Rodgers, not because of their dysfunctional front office. That's fair. What about uh, Matt LaFleur, their head coach? First two years there in Green Bay, he's got back-to-back NFC championship appearances. And now he's kind of caught in the middle of all this. We know that he made the wrong call in that NFC championship game when they were down by eight, kicking the field goal and not going for the touchdown. And Aaron made it known he didn't like that and and has still talked about that to this day. What do you think about Matt LaFleur, how he's handled this? Do you think it's more of – Aaron and the GM, or do you think Matt LaFleur is responsible for some of the issues with Aaron right now? I don't think Matt LaFleur is any of the problem. I absolutely don't think he is any of the problem. Aaron Rodgers has had an MVP season. He has had an MVP season in part because LaFleur is going to let that offense flow through Rodgers the way that Rodgers wants to and really using the best of him. Matt LaFleur is going to get criticized for that fourth down call for the rest of his life. And, and, maybe, and maybe rightfully so, uh, but he owned it. He owned it that day. He owned it. He's owned it ever since. You know, Aaron Rodgers is going to say, well, we should have gone for it here. If he, he holds LaFleur too responsible for that, uh, you know, forever, and just says, oh, I'm going to always hold this against you, that's kind of wrong. Um, coaches make decisions. That's what their job is to do. I think the hard part of Matt LaFleur here is he's got to keep the quarterback happy because that's his team. If he doesn't keep Aaron Rodgers happy, he has zero chance of winning. But then also the general manager is his boss. So the person I feel bad for in the situation is the head coach. Um, There's a really easy way around all this. You know what that is, right? There's one easy way. You fire the general manager and you trade Jordan Love. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the easy way to do it. You can get something for Jordan Love right now. It, it, it may set your franchise back in two to three years, but you made that decision when you drafted him. And I just think that the Packers are going to have to pay the pittance one way or the other. It's either you're going to piss off Rodgers, who's never – I mean, Aaron Rodgers can hold a grudge. I mean, we can see that. Can you imagine Aaron Rodgers trying to, they've been trying to bring Aaron Rodgers back in five, seven, eight years to, you know, retire his number on Monday Night Football at halftime? That ain't going to happen, people. They're going to have to be somebody who to kiss the ring. Mm-hmm. And I think if I'm the Packers, and again, it goes back to we talked about these last two weeks. The biggest part of the Packers is that the general manager has all the 
power because it's just a stupid little committee of people who say, okay, do the football stuff. You know, you got to have one voice at the top. And if you're the owner of a team, you can take the bullets. That's what you're supposed to do. There's nobody to take the bullets. So the GM has to be the one to take the bullets. And maybe unfairly, he has to take the bullet of being fired for this. And I think he's done a good job as a general manager, except with this Aaron Rodgers thing. I mean, it's hard to get people to go to Green Bay. They've got a good coach. They've got Aaron Rodgers. I mean, I don't like the way they've drafted, you know, as far as not drafting offensive players high first round. But, you know, I some one person has to be held responsible at some point mm-hmm. in any business. Usually it's the CEO. It's where you get paid the big bucks. Now, so, in- in Aaron's case, um, you know, this week for him to say what he said that, you know, we, we wondered for after the chef report wasn't, you know, corroborated, you know, it wasn't from a direct source of sorts. We wondered, okay, what's really going on. And then he goes on of all places, Schefter's network ESPN granted it was with one of his buddies, Kenny Mayne, but the fact that he went on ESPN and that he did say something and voice his displeasure, what the issue was. Were you surprised that he did that and did it on ESPN, Bo? <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, a little bit. A little bit, yeah. He's been mums the word. I didn't think he was going to say much. Um, it's really not his personality to be outgoing and to be uh, – at least we've seen publicly. I don't you – know, we don't know Aaron Rodgers personally. Um, but I, I think that publicly he's not been a guy who is – been bold or brash. Um, you know, he looks surly. He behaves surly on the field many times. Um, this whole thing is obviously very surly. But I think that I'm surprised that he went and just spelled it out the way he did. Um, you know, I think he did that of maybe out of respect to Kenny Mayne and wanted to give Kenny Mayne some rub and a little shine in the end there. But uh, I mean, that was pretty big of him, I think, to do that for Kenny Mayne. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I mean, he is on Pat McAfee's show every couple of weeks, and we've seen a little bit of his personality, but um, you know, he's been mums the word on there. So, yeah, that's what surprised me about him going on ESPN and doing it. I would have thought if he was going to say something, it would have been on McAfee's show, mm-hmm. you know, in a little more comfortable situation. Right, right, with uh, with A.J. Hawk, his former teammate yeah. there, and such too. So, yeah, yeah uh, that makes sense. Speaking of uh, – more disgruntled players of sorts. Julio Jones uh, <laughs> wants out of Tampa Bay, and that's been documented for Atlanta. Atlanta. Or, or, no, yeah. one wants, no one wants out of Tampa. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. People, people are jumping all over the fence trying to get to Tampa. He <laughs> wants out of Atlanta. Thanks for jumping on that. Um, once out of Atlanta, that's been no secret uh, of sorts, you know, the last few weeks. And then Shannon Sharp. By the way, kids at home uh, wanting to be journalists, don't do what Shannon Sharp did. <laughs> Sharp did. Do not do that. Don't no, call up somebody and put them on air without telling uh, them they're on air. Uh, no, that was a dick move too. And he and, and Shannon Sharp should have known better. He was a guy. He should have freaking known better. And that if I was Julio Jones, I'd be like Shannon. You better go delete my contact right now. There's some bullshit here. I mean, because you're going. Well, think of it this way. Julio Jones clearly has a lot of respect for Shannon Sharp. That's one of his, for lack of a better word, an elder in the league and someone who's just universally respected as a player. Yeah. 
And then they put on Front Street like that, live on TV. That's just wrong in so many ways. Um, I, I would like, though, if Shannon Sharp were to call me live on the air, I just want to put on, be put on speaker to talk to Skip so that I could tell Skip exactly what I think of him. Now, you have to have a lot of bleeps, so we couldn't be live. Maybe that, that seven-second delay would get used. But, yeah. but I, just, I think a lot of people would, yes. Yeah, you know, so I think that going back to Julio, though, um, I don't think he's wrong. I mean, he this is a guy that's just a freaking stud. I mean, is Julio Jones the best player in the history of the Atlanta Falcons? Uh, yeah, I would probably show. I would, and you can argue Dion, and you can argue Michael Vick. I, one, two, three, I and mean, that's it. I mean, he's a better player than Matt Ryan. Yeah. I, I it just befuddles me that the Falcons can't keep the best player in the league in their team history happy. He's a this has happened in the league over and over again. Aaron Rodgers is the best player in the history of the Packers, and they can't keep him happy. Look, it's a player's league now. It's a player's league. It was the NBA did it first, it became a player's league. Now the NFL is becoming a player's league. And you notice that we're gonna let some players get away with it, but we're not gonna let some others get away. Now, Leo Jones is totally in the right here. He wants some money. He wants to get paid, and he doesn't want to lose anymore. And they're the and they, I mean, he doesn't. He clearly doesn't like his quarterback. He's in a, he's in a division with Tampa, the defending champs. He's got the Saints, who other than quarterback are set. I mean, what? I mean, Carolina's going to come up. He's in a tough division. He knows he's not going to win. What's his price tag? You think? It sounds like Atlanta wants a first-round pick. He's been in the league 10 years. How much would you be willing to give up for Julio Jones? Okay, I got to look at something first. You know what I got to do, though. I always got to look at the one thing that counts the most when you're thinking about a player, and that's the salary cap situation. So, Mr. Jones has in the country for three more seasons, 21, 22, 23. All right. Okay, he's pretty cheap to trade. Um, if he's traded after June 1, the Falcons would incur 7.75, 7.75 million in dead cap hit. They can probably do that. It saves them 15 million on the cap this year. Um, and they're in a salary cap nightmare. So I think teams are going to have the Falcons by the, uh, by the short and curlies here. I think this is going to be something where the Falcons are going to get near what they think they're going to get. And I, here's why, how I read between the lines on that. They are currently $6.7 million under the cap, an effective cap space. They are actually $300,000 um, I mean $6.7 over. They are $337,000 under. Uh, it's third in the league. They can't rework any contracts right now. I don't see where they do this. That's that that gets them out of a salary cap nightmare too. So I think if I'm the Falcons, you're gonna have to just take what you can get for him. Let me see where they're at after this season. Uh, they're in the bottom third again next year. They're already uh, based on the new salary cap. I don't talk about that in a minute. They're only 11 million under. 
I'd put them at 24 million under next year. So I think if you're the Falcons, you take what you can get, but teams can play hardball with them and they can probably get him for cheap. I don't think he goes anytime soon. He certainly won't go before June the 1st now. It's only what, seven days away. Um, I think – I don't think he's a one. I think a second-round pick gets him. I think he's likely going to be a third-round pick. I think it'll be likely that he holds out and then late June, early July there's a trade. And it's more of the Falcons just saying, oh, take him, get him out of the salary cap. Not, not, I'm not saying he's not worth it talent-wise. Right. I mean, he's worth the talent once, but then you got to look at what teams can give up what for it. Right. You know, um, I, I see one like logical destination for me. Um, and there'll be others, but I mean, there's one that they kind of to me stands out. And then a couple others. Let's see here. That one, that one makes sense. I think three teams that stand out to me on this as I look at it a little closer. The Cowboys, the Rams, and the Tennessee Titans. Now, we've seen the Patriots and the Chiefs be thrown around. What about those two? Okay, they both make sense. But, okay, so can the Chiefs afford him is the question. Uh, let's see. They're, they'll go over the cap if they do that. So they're going to have to – okay, so if they do that, here becomes the question. If Chiefs were to, to trade for Julio Jones, how can you keep Tyreek Hill? That's fair. Can't pay them both. Mm-hmm. Can't pay them both when you're already paying Kelsey. Right. So that's the problem there. Patriots have the money. It's a matter of he wants to play in that division, play in the cold. Tennessee makes sense. It's close to Atlanta. You know, Julio's a, a Southern kid. Tennessee's a really good team. I think that's my dark horse of the season. We're going to talk a little bit about that off the air. And then the team I think that people will mention, but it just is a pipe dream, is the Saints. People are going to say, oh, man, it would be great to give a second weapon in the division. But he's not trading. Exactly. He's not getting traded in the division. The only way he ends up there is if if he's a cut. At the end of in a training camp. Now, here's one more for you before we move on on the New England thing. the The rumor is that you know if he goes to New England, that it's because he wants to play with Cam, and I guess they have a good relationship. Yes, I heard that too. Does that put any pressure on New England to continue to play Cam, or do you still go to Mac Jones when you're ready to at your at your Pace at, at Bill Belichick, whenever Bill Belichick wants to. I think that Belichick knows the Cam Newton's quarterback in 2021. I think of all of the first round quarterbacks, we might talk about this in a couple weeks if you want. I think Mac Jones is the guy I think is least likely to play in 2021. Um, Barring bar injury, barring a Cam Newton injury. Uh, does it make sense? Yeah, it makes sense to put a couple weapons there around Cam. And then you get Mac Jones a year to get used to it. Maybe if Julio, he's got three years in his contract, maybe you can get that smoothed over between him and Mac Jones and both being uh, Alabama guys, you know? So who knows? But um, I like the idea of New England being a decent fit. I still think this is going to be Cowboys, Rams, 
for the Titans. Okay. Uh, 2022 cap, it looks like it's going to be about $208 million. Pretty significant jump up from, I believe, what it is, 184 right now? 82.50. Thank you. Um, we've talked about for a while now that a lot of guys were signing one-year deals with the hopes of getting paid later next offseason. Is that enough money where guys can take a one-year deal this year and turn it into a bigger deal next year? Is that a big enough jump? It's a 14% increase. Um, but what I think the biggest thing, it's hard to say the yes or no on that. I mean, it's basically going to be a, a little bit higher, about four or five million higher than we thought this year was going to be uh, before pre-COVID. Um, but what I think, I mean, I, we're going to see a bigger explosion in 2023. Uh, that we've already going to notice that as, a, as that's when some of the new TV contracts kick in. I think Amazon's deal starts that year. That's it year. Um, so those kind of things will kick in. Um, I think the big thing is just to look what you're going to see in 2022 is what teams are stocking up on salary cap cash. Um, uh, there, I got the little list up here. If you ever have a question, you go to overthecap.com. And there's some wild teams up here. Uh, two teams in the AFC West are in the top 10 the Chargers, and the Raiders. We talked a lot about teams that are going to kind of punt 2021. Mm-hmm. You know, the Raiders are going to have 51. Both the Raiders and the Chargers have 51 million already in salary cap money. The Bengals have 58 million. Mm-hmm. It gives them a chance of getting a weapon for Joe Burrow. Maybe they'll get him a line because, well, Bengals don't deserve Joe Burrow. Um, but the Colts are the cheapest skates. They're at 83 million in salary cap space. And that's with paying Carson Wentz. So um, a team that can be active. I mean, there's Colts and Steelers are one and two. That's two teams that can be very active and could be really great destinations for lots of players. Um, teams who think they can move up. And then who's the team that you and I just both love who build a great roster? It's the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. They're fourth. And 66 million they can spend. It's a great way to go get a veteran quarterback in. Well, we talk about this whole Aaron Rodgers deal. Well, not to yeah, to about to, that's where I was about to go. Um, Let's say Pittsburgh is a team that can't trade right now for Aaron Rodgers. They don't have the assets or the space or anything. They're hoping this Aaron Rodgers deal drags on as long as possible. Big Ben retires. And then with that money, the Steelers could be aggressive to go get Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think you're going to look at a few teams being aggressive. So here are the teams that can be aggressive after going to Aaron Rodgers in the offseason. The Colts, they don't like their quarterback. Steelers, obviously. Uh, the Jets have a quarterback now. Miami Dolphins. Got one year on a Tua experiment. Let's see if he learned anything. If not, they've got $66 million to play with. Think a team can make a re-signing right there? You think it'd be all right to wear to be able to be somewhere it's warm all year round? You played your entire career in Green Bay. Mm-hmm. That's another one. Uh, let's see, the Panthers are up there. The Raiders talked about it already. The Broncos are up there as a tenth. Uh, the Bears aren't far behind. They got Justin Fields now, though. Yeah, I mean it's 
it's going to be interesting. There's going to be a lot of teams in play for Aaron Rodgers this offseason. And, again, I don't think he gets traded the next few months. I think he's going to play the 2021 season. I do think he'll play. I know Stephen A. Smith just did a thing of, oh, man, Aaron Rodgers has set the season. No, you don't set the season. That helped that mention your contract up. Get your money. Be surly. Have someone follow you and write all the, all the gossip down and make a book out of it. And then say, I want to go here and make the Packers trade. Mm-hmm. That's the way I would do it. And I think they're going to be suitors for him a lot. Well, and, and, and I would say this too, uh, before we move on, in regards to Aaron and his problems with the culture in Green Bay, we've seen, you know, he, we saw him get compared, you know, to uh, – to Michael Jordan's situation with the Bulls and such years ago, Aaron could fight through this season, say F you to management, go balls to the walls, and then move on. Just because he has a problem with management doesn't mean that he can't play with his teammates and get through this year and still be competitive. Yeah, the, the problem for the Packers isn't um, whether Aaron Rodgers will play it's not even that he won't give it all because he definitely is going to give it all. He's right. there, he ain't going to let play half-assed. It's what does the rest of the team do? And does the rest of the team then transition easily to Jordan Love? Um, I did think one thing that Aaron Rodgers did make very clear was I don't think he holds us against Jordan Love. And I think that's a little bit of young Aaron talking to him, mm-hmm. saying it ain't the kid's fault because it wasn't your fault against Brett. And so I think he's he's kind of seen that with those eyes. And so I think that'll be a little easier. Look, it's a bad marriage. It's just simply a bad marriage now. And they got to get till the kid graduates high school. <laughs> and so now they're going to figure out, okay, how are we going to divorce? How are we going to do this? How are we separating this? Right. So it, it, you got to do it. And I think they're going to play through this season together. I don't – it'll be – if the Packers go to the NFC Championship game like they have the last two years, it's going to be because Rodgers was an MVP type of player and because LaFleur just does a hell of a job. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. A um, couple more things. Adam Vinatieri announced he retired after 24 seasons in the National Football League. Uh, a lot of Super Bowls, some of the most clutch kicks we've ever seen – uh, there's only one kicker in the Hall of Fame, but Adam Vinatieri makes a great case to be that second one. Does he get in, Bo? Yeah, Adam Vinatieri's getting in. Yeah, I don't think there's any question that Adam Vinatieri's getting in the Hall of Fame. Um, and I think there should be – there's more than one kicker in the Hall of Fame, isn't there? Ray Guy's the only one in the Hall. He's a punter. Or, uh, Morton, Anderson, Morton Anderson. Morton Anderson, yes. Okay. Those are the only punters slash kickers in the Hall, yeah. Really? Um, I knew that Ray Guy was only punter. Yeah. But, uh, I, I do think Vinatieri is going to get in. I mean, he's the all-time leading scorer in the league. Um, all those big kicks that won Super Bowls when he was in New England and all those great years in Indy. Yeah, I think he's getting in. I think he's a very worthy Hall of Famer. Um, it might take him a couple of years. We've got a lot of guys kind of backed up in the process with the way that process works. But yeah, he get in. When you look at his impact on the league, um, pretty remarkable that 
you could say how many of those Super Bowls the Patriots would would win or not without him. I mean, you know, some of those kicks that we've talked about weren't chip shots by any means. I mean, this guy made some some huge kicks and some big moments. I mean, pretty remarkable stuff here. Yeah, I mean, he's just been incredible and consistent. Um, you know, he just got a little old now. I mean, he's not the guy he was 10 years ago. Um, but I mean, he's had 24 seasons. How old are you? I'm 25 on Saturday. So think of it this way. You were one year old when Adam Vinatieri started in the NFL. <laughs> I, I saw his entire career. You saw, yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> – I bet you don't remember the first half of it. <laughs> my, my, my first uh, – the first thing I think of uh, is that, uh, that Super Bowl with the Rams. Um, I think everybody's done. I think that's the beginning for everybody. Yeah. Last one, uh, Eugene Chung, uh, a former assistant coach, offensive line coach for the Eagles and the Chiefs, comes out this week and says that he was told that uh, he wasn't the right type of minority when interviewing for uh, jobs in the NFL. Didn't say exactly what job or what team, uh, but he was told that he's an Asian American and uh, was referencing that he wasn't black. Um we, we've heard for a long time, Bo, about discrimination issues across football. Um, this one, you know, disappointing, but I don't think it's surprising. Yeah, I am really disappointed in this. And, and, and you would think, especially in football, a football locker room is an incredible place. You have this great mix of humanity. You have black white, you have some Latino, you have some, there's a few, a couple of Asian players, you have short, you have tall, you have, you have athletic, you have, you know, big built, you have fat. I mean, you got some fat guys on the team. You've got this great mix, it's like a melting pot in many ways, football team is so different than almost every other sport. And to see this, and to see what the league has really done over the last few years where they've really tried to push, or they have the Rooney rule. And, and some of these gentlemen who have gotten opportunities have maybe not gotten the opportunity because of the direct interview they had for a job. Maybe you got them a second interview somewhere else. You know, I think of guys like Leslie Frazier and um, I mean, these guys who've gotten some of these jobs in the past. And I just think it's a goddamn shame that this happens. And it's not just a shame that it happens in the NFL. It's a shame that it happens in anything. We, we, we've got to look past what someone looks like, what their background is, whether they're black or white or Asian or Native American, Latino, whether they're woman, a man. We're seeing women and position coaches already in the NFL. We're going to see a woman in the NBA as the head coach sooner than later, I think, too. And it just goes to show that we've got some real ignorance still in sports. You know, it's always been kind of crow magnum. Oh, me, okay, man, bullshit. And we still have that. And that's just a goddamn shame. We hear about these things. You know, I think whoever it is that said that to him should be fired. And I think it should be made public. Yeah. I think it should actually be made public and say, hey, and whoever the owner of that team is, needs to come out and say, we apologize. 
When this information got to me, I fired the son of a bitch. I mean, that's what you've got to do. I just, I have zero tolerance for this kind of behavior. I have zero tolerance for any kind of non-acceptance of people based on anything of creed, color, religion, or anything else. I have zero tolerance for it. And I do not want to see that in the league. And I don't want to see that not just in football. I don't want to see that anywhere. I don't want to see it in my business. I don't want to see it in my family. And when I hear about somebody who says something nigger, it pisses me off. As you can tell, I'm getting a little red ass right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had an incident with someone that I knew a couple of years ago who said something crude to a, a friend of mine who was a Latino lady. And I literally went to that person. And I said, did you say this? And when it hurt, and he said, I didn't say that. And then I come to find he lied to me to my face. Told, I went back and told him, I'll never work with you again. I'll never speak to you again. I'll never, I'll hold a grudge like Aaron Rodgers on those cases. I mean, I just find it to be despicable. It's despicable in every which goddamn way there is. And the league should step in. The owner of that team should step in, and I applaud Chung for having the balls to come out and say something. The way I look at this, Bo, is that, you know, I come from a minority perspective too. Exactly. And, you know, the, the thing that I ask for, you know, is, is a fair, equal opportunity. I don't want special treatment. Um, I just want the same opportunity. And, you know, I mean, businesses get tax breaks for hiring minorities. And, you know, the NFL's got this reward for the Rooney Rule and for hiring minority coaches and all this. All I want to see is equal opportunity. If, if I get beat out by somebody because they're more qualified and more experienced, but they happen to be white, well, you know what? Maybe they deserved it more than I do. No hard feelings. That to me is what grinds my gears on something like this is hearing those words, you know, not the right minority or something like that. It, it just, all we want is just the fair, equal treatment, not special treatment, fair and equal. That's not what you have here. Not at all. And, and, and this is something that to some people, the NFL has a black eye because of its treatment by certain people versus, you know, for the kneeling thing. We hear a lot about the kneeling thing from certain categories of the world. At the same time, that they're, they're thinking that's disrespectful, but what, we got to be banging the, banging the drum on this. I mean, we got to be banging the drum. We're going so we're gonna to let Colin Kaepernick say the things he wants to say to do the things he wants to do. And, and not just Colin Kaepernick, Eric Reed and a few others who have done this. And we're going to take this in as a league in the NFL well, damn it, get behind these coaches too. Make it to where these coaches have to do this. The other thing I would do if I was a head coach in the NFL, I wouldn't let players choose their lockers together. I would put – you go into a locker room, you see African-Americans in one area, you see a lot of the white guys in another area, you almost kind of have these two, two worlds. No, we got to get them together. we got to get together. And you know who's, who's need to do that? Us, the white people. Mm -hmm. I'm the white guy here. Hey, we're the ones who've got to take the step to say, we're sorry. That happened to you. And can we do to help? 
you know, I, I like to think that um, I'm pretty, you know, at least half-ass woke in that I have friends who are Native Americans, I have friends who are Black, friends who are Latinos of different kinds, and I understand that they go through things I can't imagine. And then I know I have female friends who are professionals who go through the same shit. I just watched Real Sports with Brian Gumble last night, and they were talking about the handling of some uh, lady members of the press in certain sports. I don't know if you've seen that yet. If you haven't, it's yeah. worth a watch. Same kind of thing. And it's like, just because someone's wearing a dress or someone's black or someone's, you know, God damn it, clean it up. Let's go. I mean, this is 2021. If you can't get your shit together, if you're going to be so ignorant to say that, I don't care how good you are on the field. I don't care how good you might make us for our product on the field. I just can't have that. Uh, yeah. I think this is a good point to end on is yeah. uh, just this past week, we had on the racing show on a Let's Go Racing This Week, Willie T. Ribs. Uh, if people don't know who Willie T. is, he is uh, the first African-American to ever qualify for the Indy 500. He's got a great documentary on Netflix called Uppity and talks about what he went through uh, throughout his career and the challenges and struggles he faced. And what was interesting to hear from Willie one-on-one on, this, on, a, on our show this past week, he said that the biggest discrimination he faced, you know, biggest racial issues, wasn't the other drivers or fans or anything. It was corporate America. And I think these front office executives, you know, although they represent the teams and such, they kind of fall in that same line of those that can hide behind the company name of sorts that aren't the public figures themselves. And that's what made me think of in this was in that same sense of, I know this is circling a lot to go one direction here of that. We might not see the discrimination, but it's certainly still happening uh, whether it's, behind closed doors or not, though. Yeah, I agree with that. That's really well put. And, and I think mean, you said it just right in there. It's happening. It's happening behind closed doors, and we don't know it. And that's absolutely true. And we've got we to do better. we just got to do better. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. I love that, that special, though, that uppity special. If you get a chance, if anybody's in your audience hasn't watched it yet, totally worth the watch. Great film. Yeah. Yeah. Watch that and go listen to the podcast this week. You don't even have to be a racing fan to enjoy our podcast with, with uh, Willie this week. Uh, certainly check that out. Great story there. Bo, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us as always. Uh, check out Bo O'Connor Advice Group.com, OAGKS.com. Uh, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for joining us, man. All right. Hey, when, you let me know when you're ready to ask Coach Bo. And I'll, uh, I'll come back on any time. <laughs> Watch those sheets, folks. Watch the sheets and, uh, we got to get get some more. I, I got a couple for you. We'll talk off air. Big thanks to Coach Bo for joining us here on the Jones Report. Tyler Jones, Thomas Bridges is back here with you now. A couple more things before we wrap up today. Uh, college name, image, and likeness. If you recall when Bo joined us last week, uh, one of the things that we talked about was uh, college name, image, and likeness being the big game changer that's still ahead for the college sports world. And there's two ways that states are going about this, those that are passing name, image, and likeness. And one way is that 
giving all the rights to their players to, you know, to deal with it as they may, to keep every dollar uh, that they earn from endorsements or autographs or anything of that sort. And the other way is schools are putting it in a pot and going to distribute it evenly amongst athletes. So all the money that one player earns, he might not even see that. It's going to be contributed to everybody, you know, a, a spread the wealth type thing. Well, this week in, in Oklahoma, uh, we hear that Oklahoma in the state house and Senate, and it's expected to be signed by the governor, Kevin Stitt, the name image and likeness uh, idea of, uh, of the players getting it individually, not going to the schools. And so with that being said, as you're seeing more of these deals being figured out in states, you know, you know, figure out the way that they're going to go about this. I really like where Oklahoma is at and where Oklahoma and Oklahoma State are positioning themselves because of this. Here's the deal, essentially, why this matters. As you're looking ahead to the future, um, the schools where name, image, and likeness is, one, legalized, and two, legalized in a way where the players get the money they earn that they've earned themselves are going to have an incredible advantage when it comes to recruiting and recruiting talent. Um, and the way it's being set up now for Oklahoma and a lot of States in this same situation is the the governments in those states are saying, we are not going to get in the way of you competing at a high level for you competing and succeeding, uh, you know, to push beyond your limits. And when you see the facilities that those two schools have, now they're going to have access to this. There is no reason why Oklahoma and Oklahoma State cannot compete at the highest level and compete for championships in everything, essentially. Nothing is going to stand in their way. They have everything there in front of them here. Um, I applaud uh, government for doing the right thing in this case. And now uh, the pressure only goes up from here. You've been handed the keys. You have an advantage compared to really most of the country at this point. Now, what are guys like Mike Gundy, Lincoln Riley, Mike Boynton, uh, Porter Moser, what are these guys going to do with it, essentially? It's up to them to figure it out now. They've been handed what they needed. Yeah, I mean, it is up to them. I mean, they have a competitive advantage over everybody right now. So uh, there's no, you know, that there's no excuses now not to get top-tier talent, even better than everybody else because of the, you know, the payers spend to get played. Uh, you know, they had they can have a chance to make this money, and I, I think they will. I mean, anybody coming out of high school is going to say, oh, well, I can go play at a, you know, OU or OSU or, hell, there might be even players from Tulsa, uh, you know, that, that go and, and take this route. And, I mean, athletics in Oklahoma, until everyone else catches up, could be going through the roof. 
It should be. And if I were to pinpoint who's got the most pressure on them of sorts, Tom, I would think it's Mike Gundy because Mike Gundy, although he's done a good job at Oklahoma State, there has been much left to be desired from the Pokes um, really since since 2012, since after that great year they went to the Fiesta Bowl. Um, There's been years that it's been pointed to, okay, you should have beat Oklahoma more. You should have contended for the Big 12, should have been playoff contenders, quite frankly, and have come up short. And a lot of people point to the recruiting at Oklahoma State that, okay, they've had these great facilities and they've had some great talent over the years, but they haven't been able to pull in the elite talent they should be pulling in. Um, You know, fringe top 25 recruiting classes when those should be more like top 15 recruiting classes of some sorts. I would think that's if I were to point to one guy that says, okay, he, he's got to step up his program. He's got this going now. Uh, number one name is Mike Gundy here. Yeah. I mean, and, and Mike Gundy's the guy that would in, in Oklahoma state, I think can do something like that can, can make almost like a marketing approach for, for this. And I mean, Mike Gundy could be the guy to lead it. He could just, I could see him being ridiculous in some sort of fashion um, about getting players to Stillwater and saying, hey, make this money. We can do this. We can build that. You know, I can see them. At this point, I'm not against saying the word pandering. I think that's exactly what will happen. And some of it will be cringe and some of it will be brilliant. Um, and I just don't know which percentage is going to be cringe and which percentage is going to be brilliant. But at that point, uh, you know, for Gundy and I mean, hell for even Lincoln Riley at this point, you have this advantage. Fuck it. Pander. I mean, I'm pandering. I would pander to the day's end with that. I would use that as my, you know, chemical X I'm, I'm using that to, I can't use it anymore um, because all these players, they, they, for one, need to get paid and two, uh, can. I mean, and I, when I say need to, I'm not saying, I'm not taking, I've, obviously we're talking football here. I'm not taking away from all the other athletics and I'm not saying only football players should be paid. But when you look at the money coming into the NCAA, for college football, it's more than any other college sport. Um, and football is probably the most contact. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say probably the most contact. I mean, you can say wrestling, but it doesn't – It doesn't. you don't get the injuries just like football. Right. So these players are essentially putting their bodies on the line. Um, I mean, 90 – I don't know what the percentage is. I'm going to say 91% of all college football players never make it to the NFL and D1. I'm going to give it a 9% of all D1 college players make that's it to the NFL. Right, yeah. And that's, that's probably less. But that being said, Jones, I see a lot of pandering. I do. I do. Um, you know, I, I wish Boone Pickens was still alive for a lot of reasons, obviously. But could you imagine if this was around when, uh, when, Bo- when Boone was still here? the stuff that Boone would put together to try to get guys to come to Stillwater. I mean, money would be thrown around like a strip club. Oh yeah. I got to make it rain and it's going to be phenomenal to see. Um, 
you know, I, I'm all here for it. it. It'll be great. And, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, the car dealerships or Eskimo Joe's or whatever it may be, you know, that we're, we're going to see guys uh, have their moments. You, you won't have to worry about if Rhett Bomar actually put in the time at the car dealership or not. I mean, th- these guys are going to get, get paid and, and uh, that's going to be it. I mean, the Spencer Sanders happy hour at Eskimo Joe's. <laughs> I mean, you, I mean, the Trey Sterling deal of the day at the car dealership. Oh yeah. I mean, you're not going to have, you know, meet the Sooners day anymore where you're getting that free autograph. You're going to have to pay for that. And the Spencer Rattler, I don't know. He could say German corner special. I don't know. Um, there's, there's a lot. And, you know, I, I was reading this uh, report this week about, uh, you know, Oklahoma's new, you know, OU's new emphasis in particular on what they've done with transfer players. And that, you know, if you factored in the transfer portal, Oklahoma would have actually the number one recruited class in the country this year. It would top Alabama. Um, you add name, image, and likeness to this, and now you start to say, okay, Oklahoma's already doing a really good job with the portal. If you can go over to somebody and say, you know what, you come here, we're going to get you out of this situation you don't want to be in, and we're going to take care of you. we got a little something extra for you. I mean, that's it. That's another game changer. We talk about high school recruiting. Uh, this is a whole other element for the portal, too. The rich are going to get richer here. Oh, 100%. And, and you know, players are going to see that and say, well, what's the move? And everyone's going to be like, well, it's, it's one of those schools in Oklahoma. Uh, where we can get that, get the bread. I mean, honestly, I don't blame them. Yeah. I, I mean, at that point, I mean, if you look at it, okay, OU's a blue blood, and if you don't go to OU, you go to Oklahoma State, which is still a solid program overall. It's not like you're going to, you know, it's not like you're going to play for the Raging Cajuns or freaking, you know, UTSA. Uh, you know, you're playing for a, a solid program still, a, a program that still has national prominence and get money. I mean, I, I hope this is not all said for not. I, I hope this actually happens for both schools um, and that we're just not hoping for a fantasy situation. But I don't think we're too far off. No, I don't think we're too far off at all. It uh, it'd be great to see. It'll play to their benefit, I think, for sure on uh, that front, but it's certainly exciting to uh, see that all unfold and come together and, and ultimately just do the right thing. I mean, it's been far too long. These uh, college kids have not been given the money they deserve. And, you know, more than anything, besides seeing, you know, the teams we root for be more competitive uh, to have an advantage in some sorts, but just at the end of the day, just to see these kids get what's rightfully theirs that's what's really great to see in, in all of this. In actuality, that's the number one thing, uh, really. Uh, before we get out of here today, time for our Tom Fullery story of the week. Tom, Bo filled in for you last week, and uh, we had some great email advice come in. We'll have to do that again down the road. But now you're back. The reins are yours again. Where are we going to head to this time? Jones, we're going to do one of my favorite things. And it's, I, I love to play the what if game, and this is a version of it 
or a would you rather or what you could what you could what do you think you could do in a situation I mean I guess you could call the game hypotheticals and it's my favorite okay um so Jones this comes from YouGov America Rumble in the Jungle what animals would win in a fight this is a real article here and I'll give you some crunch numbers here in a second um Again, you gov America title outreads and what wild beasts do Americans think they can themselves take on? Jones, before I get to the article, if you had to pick what animal, you know, the most, I guess, most dangerous animal, and I'm talking full grown, it can't be a baby, whatever, it can't be a, a, a four month old, whatever, I'm talking a full mature animal. What animal do you think? would be the on the highest tier of could kill somebody that you think you could take on. Oh, that's a, that's a tough without thing. killing you. And, and we're talking, you know, bare hands, like no weapon of sorts. Right. Barehanded straight up. Take on this animal, man. That's a, uh, that's a tough one for me. And you know, there's, there's a lot of different directions you can go. And you know, I, I would say that I, I would have to, you know, go with some type of, you know, maybe like a husky or something like that. Some type of, I'm, I'm not beating up some chimpanzee or uh, a giraffe or anything like that. You know, I, I remember when, uh, what was it? Didn't Mike Tyson try to fight a shark recently? I mean, I, I think you did. That's some crazy stuff I'm not going to do. But I mean, bare hands, you know, with the, with the animal. I, I'm I'm going to be the smart man. I'm going to stay away. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would like to think I've seen enough of Steve Irwin that I think that maybe an average size alligator I could probably maybe wrestle with. Um, but I might lose, I might lose a limb. Irwin wasn't even trying to wrestle those those alligators. He was just trying to capture them. Right, I guess subdue. I yeah. mean, subdue. It would be kind of hard to kill an alligator with your bare hands. I think, I think I could take on an average-sized deer without antlers. I've seen some deer jack some people up. Maybe not even then, and I would get hurt in the process. But if it was a fight to the death, I like my chances against an average-sized deer. Okay. And I have a hatred for deer, so that would play into it. But even then, I, I don't know if I would win against a full-grown like German Shepherd that, you know, like a police trained. I don't think so. I don't think I would even stand a mere shot at that. I don't, I don't think of myself very high. But then there are some cases, I guess, if it was fight to the death, uh, that maybe so. Um, Jones, here's the crazy part about it, and I'd like to get one of these people on the show. Article again, and what wild beasts do Americans think they themselves can take on? And the article goes on to say, doesn't even just doesn't even alert anything; just go straight into it. The lion is often held to be king of animals, but is truly nature's most fearsome fighter. Americans in search of answers are well catered for. There is a book series, a video game battle simulator, and even a Discovery Channel documentary dedicated to establishing the outcome of hypothetical animal combat. Of course, geography and morality get in the way of you ever knowing for sure, but a new YouGov study provides the next best thing, the views of the U.S. public. 
Our survey puts 34 different animals, including humans, against one another to see which Americans think is the mightiest. We showed people seven random pairings of animals from the list and asked them which of the two they thought would win in a fight. Animals are ranked by their win percentage. That is how often Americans thought an animal would win in a head-to-head matchup when it was shown one of the two animals. The results show that the elephant wears the crown in the animal kingdom, but only slightly. Elephants had a win rate of 74%, just fractions of a percent ahead of their single horned cousins, the rhinoceros, in second place, also on, at 74%. Not far behind in third place is the grizzly bear at 73%. This may raise eyebrows among zoologists, given that grizzlies far outperform their pale cousins, the polar bear, bear ninth place on six, at 64% despite the latter being far larger and way more aggressive. Also performing particularly well are tigers at 70%, hippos 69%. Nice. Nice. Right Lions at 68% and crocodiles 67%. Despite their meme level aggressiveness, geese come in dead last in the survey, triumphing in just 14% of the fights. Jones, I think I could beat a goose, 100%. I would put money down right now. I'll go out to the park and whoop a goose's ass. Okay. Yeah, I'll take it. I'm not going to do it, but if I had to, I think I could. I think I could could take down a seagull. Uh, Yeah. As long as you protected your eyes, I think you'd be fine. Right. Um, Goes on to say, our own species fared a little better. Facing an array of the animal kingdom's toughest and meanest, an unarmed human wins only 17% of the time, in American estimations, better than only the goose. Man versus beast. But what if the unarmed human was one of our respondents themselves? So we took a further selection of animals and asked Americans if they thought they could triumph in battle against them without weaponry. The results show that Americans aren't confident in their abilities. Most Americans are convinced they could beat a rat, 72%, a house cat, 69% again nice and a goose 61% in a fight nevertheless 17 to 24% still feel like they would lose in a struggle with such creatures with the rest unsure the Jones the chimpanzee number on that survey is just nuts by the way how many people actually think they could take on a chimp 17% of people I'll give you the rundown I'll give you the rundown on this nice little graphic they think, and I'll continue. Okay. Rat, 72% of people. This is the percentages or percentages of people that think they could beat this animal. House cat, 69%. Goose, 61%. Medium-sized dog, 49%. And eagle, 30%. Large dog, 23%. Chimpanzee, there you go, 17%. That's absurd. Right? King cobra, 15% of people. I mean, I feel like that's a one and done. If you get bit, you're finished. Uh, kangaroo, 14%. Crocodile, 9%. Gorilla, 8%. That's crazy. An elephant, there's no way you can win a fight against an elephant without a weapon. There's absolutely no way. No way. Uh, I mean, a lion you could beat without weaponry if you did it, if you had a strong enough punch, but you're not knocking an elephant out. Um, lion, 8% of people, Jones, 8% of Americans think they can beat a lion in a fight. That number's just too high. And then it even goes crazier. Grizzly bears, 6% of people think they could beat a grizzly bear in a fight. And absolutely not. 
No. That number's still too high for me. All those numbers are too high for the most part. I mean, I mean think about this, Tom. Here's a little perspective for you. How many people in America are afraid just to kill a spider? Okay. Now, now take those same folks and try to you know deal with a a chimp or a lion or a gorilla. I mean, no chance. Absolutely no chance whatsoever. I mean, they're yeah, a gorilla would just rip you to shreds. I mean, chimpanzee could rip you to shreds. I mean, they're got ridiculous strength. I mean, so I'm looking at this. Uh, they're talking about the kangaroo part. I always got to figure out a way to fit that in if I can. An Australian man came under criticism a few years ago for punching a kangaroo in the face, although it later emerged he was trying to protect his dog. Uh, Jones, 6%. It lies on the 6% of women think they could beat a grizzly bear. 7% of men think they could beat a grizzly bear. I mean, it definitely shows like the over, you know, male overconfidence here, which could be played in. I mean, medium-sized dogs, 60% of men think they could. 39% of women think they could. A goose, 71% of men, 51% of women think they can beat a goose. Uh, I mean, I think that we're really overestimating the power of a goose here. I think I could beat a goose up way easier than I could beat a mean house cat up. I mean, have you seen me play Duck Duck Goose? I'm leaving. I mean, I mean, a goose, look at that long neck. All you have to do, if you can just get bit a little bit on the arm, you just grab that sucker by the neck and it's done. House cat, way quicker. Right. I mean, technically, geese can fly, but I'm imagining this is a ground battle. Yeah. Um, the worst the goose could do is beat you maybe with its wing a couple times, fly away. Uh, a house cat could get on your face, scratch your eyes out. I mean, a cow's cat has way more weaponry than a goose. Right. Um, and a rat. I don't know. I mean, this would be pretty easy. If we're talking about an arena with no holes to run away in, there's no way anybody couldn't beat a rat. I mean, I think that's kind of like people being like, oh, I wouldn't even touch it. But one in five men think they could beat a chimpanzee or King Cobra at 23%. Jones, there's no way. The I would, I would like to see someone fight a chimpanzee. I would root the human off. Mm, if you're, dumb, but I don't think it could happen. I mean, if you're dumb enough to fight some of these animals. I kind of want to see the animal win. In all honesty, I mean, I guess that's true. A chimpanzee will eat you. Like it will bite your face. It takes a crazy person to. I mean. Sure, if it's a fight to the I mean, death, am I going to put a chimp's fingers in my mouth and bite them bitches off? Maybe. Here, here's the problem that you run into in these fights that people don't think about is it's not a fair fight. I mean, you're thinking about, are, are you going to, you're not going to bite a chimpanzee, but the chimpanzee is going to bite you. I mean, that's, a, that's an advantage. Point for the chimp. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess fight to the death, I'll bite its ear off if I have to. I mean, that didn't stop, you know. Didn't stop Mike Tyson. So maybe Mike Tyson's the man we need. Maybe that's why he tried to fight that shark. He was going to, I don't know what he was going to bite off, a fin. <laughs> That'd be pretty incredible, actually. <laughs> Mike Tyson. If he did fight a shark and bit the fin. Uh, we have found the man for this job, Mike Tyson. Although we don't condone uh, fighting animals uh, for, you know, for pleasure. Again, this. 
This is the Tom Fuller. This is the Tom Fuller version of hypotheticals. Yes. But most hypotheticals are all tomfoolery, and that's why I love it, that game so much. It's great. It's great. On that note, we will run. Big thanks to uh, Taryn Gregson for joining us, as well as Coach Bo, Brian O'Connor. And, uh, Tom, glad you made it back from uh, Memphis. Fun show today, as always. And uh, we'll be back here next week. Subscribe to the Jones Report on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Follow us on social media, facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live at Thomas underscore produce at TJ Media Group. Instagram, Jones underscore report, Tyler Jones Live. It's the Thomas. You can find us there. We certainly would appreciate it. And we'll see you right back here on the other side next week. For our entire crew, I'm Tyler Jones saying so long. It's been another edition of the Jones Report. See you next week.